If you walk down the block, you'll find amazing things to do at your local croc. You can walk the track, hit pickleball, Zumba when the rhythm calls, take music lessons, or go for a swim, all after you hit the gym. Click on the link and see what you think. Then take a walk to your local croc. If you walk down the block, you'll find amazing things to do at your local croc. You can walk the track, hit pickleballs, Zumba when the rhythm calls, take music lessons, or go for a swim, all after you hit the gym. Grab a stationary bike and go for a spin. Dribble, score, and take home a win. Become a lifeguard to save the day and try Aquafit along the way. Price is so low you're gonna flip for more than just a gym membership. Click on the link and see what you think. Then take a walk to your local croc. Using free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Friday, the 9th of September, year of our Lord 2022. Day 909 of the ongoing emergency, medical martial law. And uh, we're going to begin today with what everybody is talking about. I've never seen any uh, news item so thoroughly take over the news cycle as the death of Queen Elizabeth. But I'm going to focus on uh, the coming king, King Charles. We're also going to talk about what I think is the uh, strategy being adopted uh, by the Democrats to win this election and how uh, this, these charges against Bannon fall into that. And we're going to talk about the death of our civilization, of our culture, as we see in Memphis, for example, and the coming world war, of course. Uh, we, <laughs> uh, everybody is uh, telling us, hey, th- this could turn into World War III. Uh, they are... Maybe we should start paying attention to them. We'll be right back. Stay with us. I also want to talk about uh, what is happening with CBDC because uh, there's an interesting uh, article of uh, someone who follows it very closely who believes that Ethereum might be their response to move to this very rapidly. And of course, within the week, Ethereum is going to completely change the way that it calculates transactions, going from proof of work to proof of stake. So we'll talk about what that means and uh, the implications of that as well, as the ties between Ethereum and the World Economic Forum. Uh, And the fact that uh, in Canada, they've already conducted a phase one test of a central bank digital currency using Ethereum. But let's begin with uh, King Charles. After waiting for 70 years, uh, the longest any heir has waited to become king, and he will be the oldest person sworn in as king, uh, his time has arrived. And it is kind of interesting to note 
how long Queen Elizabeth II was uh, queen. Uh, prior to her, of course, uh, we had the Elizabethan age, we had the Victorian age, because they had been on the throne for such a long time. And both of those were actually periods of time when the, uh, the British Empire thrived under Queen Elizabeth under the Victorian period. Uh, queen Elizabeth I became queen at the age of 26, uh, Queen Elizabeth II at the age of 25. However, Queen Elizabeth I only lived to be 70, so she was on the throne for 45 years, and Queen Elizabeth II was on the throne for 70 years. Closest to that, I guess, I think, uh, was Queen Victoria, who uh, reigned for 63 years. She became queen at the age of only 18 and lived until she was 81. But apart from that historical trivia, the real issue, I think, is uh, going to be King Charles, or whatever he calls himself. You know, but he has four different names, and he could choose to call himself any of those. He's been Prince Charles, but, um, you know, the Charleses don't have too great a reputation. You had Charles I, who, as uh, one press outlet politely put it, was deposed by Oliver Cromwell. Well, he was actually decapitated uh, by Cromwell. And then his son, Charles II, uh, eventually was restored to the throne uh, after Cromwell uh, died. And um, they pushed for the divine right of king. So he, he, may, he has uh, several different names. as Charles, Philip, Arthur, George. He could be George, could be a King George. Uh, that has some negative connotations with George III, but I think it would fit pretty well with the kind of a person that he is. He is a kind of a George III guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, Philip, they don't have a King Philip, but uh, King Arthur. Now, that would be interesting. Uh, I guess he could go to the Davos Roundtable discussion, uh, but uh, he's been involved heavily with the Great Reset and uh, the other issues, especially environmental issues. That's where he's really hung out. It would not be unusual for him to take a, a different name. As a matter of fact, uh, Queen Victoria uh, was Alexandrina. That was the name that she'd gone by until they made her queen at the age of 18. They thought it sounded too foreign. Uh, then um, uh, this um, Queen Elizabeth II, her father was uh, Prince Albert. But then when he became king after his brother abdicated the throne because he wanted to marry uh, an American divorcee, uh, he became King George VI. So who knows what he's going to call himself. But right now, he is the man formerly known as Prince. Uh, not to be confused with Harry, formerly known as Prince. <laughs> uh, so uh, what is going to happen with the royal family? Well, there's a lot of pearl clutching going on as people are closely following that, but I want to look at how Prince Charles has been involved in this climate MacGuffin and with the globalists. He's been one of the central figures in this for quite some time. As uh, one of the mainstream media articles says, uh, while the media wanted to focus on his private life, Charles wanted to speak out about social and spiritual issues, and he's never shied away from airing his views on matters close to his heart. Um, <laughs> yes, the uh, uh, when the king or queen is sworn in, they're sworn in as defenders of the faith. I don't think they're specifically about the Christian faith and the swearing in. That was implied in earlier times, but um, in terms of uh, what faith he is, um, 
<laughs> nothing at all Christian uh, about uh, Charles's uh, backgrounds and, and what he values, what he believes. Uh, saying that he talked to his plants, that he shook hands with trees when he planted them. Some media labeled him as a crank who would rather be a farmer than a prince. Uh, but he's, he's done a lot of uh, really crazy stuff. And one of the craziest things that he's done is to support the climate agenda. He's a very serious-minded man, they said, with a genuine concern for his people. Well, no, he's kind of a one-man MacGuffin in a kilt. Uh, I, <laughs> kind of fits, I guess. Uh, one of his of his greatest campaign one of his greatest campaigning causes, or rather his his greatest campaigning cause, they say, and it really is. You know, the one that he is most focused on is environmentalism as a religion. As a religion. He can now take solace in the fact that the global leaders have come around to his demands, that they address climate change crisis. He has been a lone voice crying in the wilderness for quite a while, uh, saying, tear down every mountain. <laughs> and rip up every road. Uh, at the COP26 UN conference in 2021, President Biden praised Charles' leadership, telling him that he got the whole thing going. And Charles's son, William, who is next in line, said he's had a really rough ride on that, and I think he's been proven to be well ahead of the curve. Yes, yes. The problem is that the uh, curve is a lie. Uh, the uh, exponential curve that Michael Mann put out there saying uh, if we uh, continue to uh, use quote-unquote fossil fuels, it's going to increase CO2. And if CO2 goes up, so does the temperature. Well, none of that was true. CO2 use did go up, uh, but the uh, temperature did not rise with it. Their model was complete bunk. Now, Going back to 2015 was when I first saw uh, some of the most troubling stuff about Prince Charles. Prior to that, you could dismiss the fact that he's out there prattling on about the environment and Mother Earth and all the rest of this stuff. You could just kind of dismiss this as uh, some kind of virtue signaling elitist, uh, shaking hands with trees, that, that type of thing. But then it became more serious. <clears throat> In 2015, I realized. And, and the way I came around to this was uh, what, what drove all this was the fact that the Pope put out his climate encyclical. Yes, um, <clears throat> a doctrinal statement about the green religion. Big warning flag about this Pope, this Jesuit, and his, this Marxist and what his true inclinations are at the time. So I covered that in detail. And... He had, at the time, uh, the, the author of this climate encyclical was a guy named John Schellenhuber, who had a pretty awful background in terms of pushing depopulation. And so this guy who was a depopulationist was the one that the Pope picked to write his climate encyclical. Now, the connection to Prince Charles was that same guy, John Schellenhuber. <clears throat> who had been uh, hanging around with uh, Prince Charles's uh, Earth League. Look at this, the Earth League. There they are in one of the royal residences. And there's Prince Charles seated right at the center with that large group of people. Uh, not the League of Gentlemen, uh, this <laughs> the League of Depopulationists, if you will. And so um, this is back in 2015. 
And when I started looking at the details of it and started looking at the connections to this radical depopulationist, John Schellenhuber, uh, that was the real concerning thing. And this has not gone away. You know, that was seven years ago. And uh, January of 2021, Prince Charles announced the Earth Charter. The Earth Charter. What does he mean by that? We'll get back to the Earth League and the uh, various aspects of the Earth League in a moment here. Uh, but uh, the Earth Charter, uh, they had talked about previously an Earth Constitution. So, in a sense, this Earth Charter is not exactly a hard and fast accord. In other words, when they're talking about this back in 2015, Schellenhuber specifically had talked about uh, creating an Earth Constitution, a global council, and a planetary court. There you go. World government, in a nutshell, over the climate MacGuffin. Now, what Charles is currently selling right now <clears throat> is a, a spin. Well, actually, it's not a spin. It's an inversion, a perversion, if you will, of the Magna Carta. And he calls it the Terra Carta. So the Magna Carta was the big charter, the big charter of rights that the, um, the peers forced upon uh, one of his uh, predecessors and had the king sign it acknowledging that he was not going to be an absolute ruler, that people had rights. And so now <clears throat> what uh, uh, King Charles, or whatever he calls himself, wants to do is to establish the idea that the earth has rights, that nature has rights, and frankly that those rights are superior to your rights as a human being. You understand why I call this a perversion? an inversion, and he references that exactly himself. Uh, the charter that he calls the Terra Carta, or the Earth Charter, uh, he compares it to the Magna Carta. It is hoped that it will put nature, people, and planet at the heart of global value creation, he says. And um, it'll outline ways to achieve sustainability, giving nature rights to exist and remain. So they've taken God out of creation. They've taken away rights from mankind and assigned them to this inanimate thing. This is beyond the ludicrous idea of animal rights. Animals don't have rights. They don't have any responsibility. They're not accountable to uh, anyone. Uh, humans are. Humans have uh, been given dominion over God's creation. We are responsible and accountable to him. The animals are responsible and accountable to us. Uh, but um, uh, this is uh, an inversion of rights because these are people who believe that humans don't have freedom, don't have dignity, right? And so what they're going to do is they're going to elevate inanimate objects above us. That's what this is all about. And he's using this Terra Carta, to go around and pigeonhole corporations to get them to contribute money to his cause, whatever that is. Asking corporations to donate over $7 billion. He's going around to uh, private sector businesses uh, to get them to jump into the ESG game, the environmental societal governance game. Uh, you know, pigeonholing them 
pony up, give us some money. Uh, you can be part of the club. Same kind of stuff that Klaus Schwab is doing uh, with the UN, bringing in these corporations to support their political agenda. Because currently, without having an Earth Constitution and a planetary council, they don't have a way to raise taxes. So they get the money by going to the wealthy people, the corporations and the billionaires, and getting them to fund this scheme. And, of course, there will be something in it for them on the back end. Prince Charles wrote, If we consider the legacy of our generation, more than 800 years ago, Magna Carta inspired a belief in the fundamental rights and liberties of people. As we strive to imagine the next 800 years of human progress, the fundamental rights and value of nature must represent a step change in our future of the industry and the future of the economy approach. And he puts the future of industry, puts that in quotes. Future of the economy, puts that in quotes. They don't care about industry. They don't care about economy. They want a feudal serfdom. Who better to lead us into serfdom than somebody like King Charles? King of the Enviro wacko nuts. Anybody who believes this stuff. And of course, they don't believe this stuff. They don't believe that the earth is a sentient being. They don't believe the Gaia theory, but they will use that for their useful idiots who do. So not natural rights. You know, natural rights is what our constitution is about. That each of us is uh, created by God and endowed with inalienable rights, among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No, no, forget about that. We're not going to have natural rights. As a matter of fact, Biden hated that. I've mentioned this many times. I'll mention it again right now. The thing, the problem that he had with Clarence Thomas in the, in the hearings where they were confirming Thomas for um, Supreme Court justice way, way back, um, he was... Uh, not coming after Clarence, the left got angry with him because he didn't come after Clarence Thomas so much for the alleged sexual harassment. What a, what a joke that was. The allegations were not even anything serious, especially compared to what has been alleged against Joe Biden. So maybe he decided he didn't want to throw any stones in that glass house. But what he did come after Clarence Thomas for, the thing that he really hated, was the idea that uh, Clarence Thomas supported the idea of natural rights, the fundamental basis of the American experiment, the basis of our Declaration of Independence from the King of Britain. The idea that we have fundamental rights. And let me tell you, if you want to be enslaved to a global king, not just a British King George, but maybe a global King George, if that's what he calls himself, the way that's going to happen is to go through this Terra Carter to make the earth supreme to us because the earth is not going to rule you. These people will do it in the name of the earth. They will be the advocates for the earth, just like they're the advocates for the animals and so forth. Um, so uh, the fundamental rights and value of nature has to be defended in a charter uh, as we destroy the fundamental rights, and therefore the fundamental value of human beings. Because human beings, according to Gaia theory, we're nothing more than a virus. And you know what happens to viruses, don't you? Well, we've got to try to eradicate that. Uh, there are 100 recommendations in the Earth Charter, all of them, to save the planet, of course. So he's written this stupid thing, or had somebody write it for him. I'm sure he had 
somebody like John Schellenhuber write it for him. You know, they, um, it's people like uh, Pope doesn't write his encyclical. He's got John Schellenhuber to write it. So I don't know who wrote his Earth Charter. Uh, Prince Charles has been campaigning for more than 50 years for changes to save the planet. The charter could include plans for reforestation. No, we don't have enough trees. Let me tell you how you get more trees and how you get them to grow faster. More CO2. They love CO2. They have to have CO2. They, they breathe it in. <laughs> it is mother's milk to them, if you will. Mother Earth milk is CO2. Uh, if you're worried about losing trees, it might be because you don't have enough carbon dioxide. You should have more of that stuff. Um, <clears throat> he continues on with the usual nonsense, right? Uh, you know you're being scammed when you're told there's no time. Can't think about this. We got to get this vaccine out. You got to buy this thing. Offer good only for today. For the next 24 minutes, click on this thing and order it, or the price is going to go up significantly. Well, we're all going to die because, as Prince Charles says, time is fast running out, and we are rapidly wiping out through mass extinctions, many of nature's treasure trove of species. Timelines for change must be brought forward. Uh, this is something the UN, Davos, Prince Charles all agree. The timeline for change must be brought forward to make a transformative shift by the end of the decade. That's 2030, referencing that. So um, when we go back and we look at uh, what I found seven years ago, Shellen Hoover, the guy connected to the Pope, the guy connected to uh, the man formerly known as Prince Charles, uh, who <laughs> just call him King Arthur right now. <laughs> King Arthur and his unicorns. Uh, so again, an earth constitution, a global council, and a planetary court. Uh, that was laid out by uh, Schellenhuber. And you know exactly how those things are going to be used. And uh, so how's this going with these guys? Well, uh, he laid out his Earth Charter in January 2021, and he already had uh, one sucker on the hook two months later, March 2021. Athens became the first city to adopt Charles's Earth Charter. More people were encouraged to join, of course. He's called on major cities around the world to set an example and join the drive toward greater sustainability as Athens has become the first city to adopt his Terra Carta. The Earth Charter, and I'm sure that um, you know he, he's taking a more spiritual approach to it as opposed to a more technological approach that's being put out by the technocracy and Klaus Schwab. Uh, they call it the smart cities. Maybe he could just get all these cities to join the Earth Charter. We're going to come back with uh, headline news about uh, some very very tragic deaths. If you walk down the block, you'll find amazing things to do at your local croc. You can walk the track, hit pickleball, Zumba when the rhythm calls, take music lessons, or go for a swim, all after you hit the gym. Click on the link and see what you think. Then take a walk to your local croc. If you walk down the block, you'll find amazing things to do at your local croc. You can walk the track, hit pickleballs, Zumba when the rhythm calls, take music lessons, or go for a swim, all after you hit the gym. Grab a stationary bike and go for a spin. Dribble, score, and take home a win. Become a lifeguard to save the day and try Aquafit along the way. Price is so low you're gonna flip for more than just a gym membership. Click on the link and see what you think. Then take a walk to your local croc.
Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing. And the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com. Well, uh, Memphis has had a great deal of tragedy this week. Uh, we had a high-profile murder case of a uh, an heiress to uh, I, don't, I think she was it was a billionaire fortune that she was there, but she was a school teacher, ordinary person out jogging, and um, the search for her the disappearance. Uh, uh, they found uh, the guy who uh, did it. And of course, he was let out. Uh, after being put in jail, uh, they don't, uh, you know, compassionate thing to do, of course, right? And uh, then that was followed up by a, um, a thug, another way to describe him, in Memphis, live streaming himself on Facebook as he's going around murdering strangers at random. And this is the reaction by one of the local reporters in Memphis. And I know... Uh, tearing up. Memphis is tired right now. Yeah, I'm good. I'm with you all. Memphis is tired right now. The Eliza Fletcher kidnapping and abduction and murder. The other crimes we've had this year leading up to this. It's difficult right now. Bear with me. It's a very nerve-wracking night. It's- yeah, and so uh, it was a black male reportedly identified as 19-year-old Ezekiel Kelly live-streaming himself on Wednesday on Facebook, driving around Memphis and shooting strangers at random. Disturbing video uh, that they're now taking most of these things down, Uh, but uh, you don't want to see it anyway. Uh, Shows him going and and, uh, shooting a guy without warning, an unsuspecting white man inside of an auto zone without warning, but it, it doesn't seem to be racially motivated. The first person that he shot was a friend of his, also black, and I believe it was the last person that he shot, a young black girl in the back. Uh, but besides this um, a person in the auto zone, uh, he um, also uh, hijacked a car, carjacked it, and uh, shot and killed the young woman in that, young white woman there. Uh, he reportedly killed four persons and injured at least three others. Uh, 
the Memphis Police Department said the 19-year-old active shooter carjacked a woman and took her SUV. Witnesses say the woman was shot and she was killed. Uh, you had Andy Nose said, I looked into the criminal history of Ezekiel Kelly, the Memphis gunman. Last year, he was convicted of aggravated assault and he was sentenced to three years prison, but he was released early. His attempted murder and other felony charges were dismissed. And then he does this. You see, I can imagine what happened with this. Um, a year ago, he was sentenced. <clears throat> he would have been 18. And uh, they would have had him on attempted murder, felony charges, many other felony charges, aggravated assault. And they would have done a plea bargain. You know, you're only 18. Here, here's the deal. You plead guilty to uh, aggravated assault, and uh, we'll drop these other charges of attempted murder and things like that. And then, you know, he's 18, so uh, he only does a few months in uh, jail. Uh, not even a year, I believe, if I remember correctly. And then they let him out, and he goes on a shooting spree. You see, the problem is, is that a lot of times people who, it's the youngest criminals, frequently, who are the most dangerous. Because they are completely devoid of any compassion, any sense of other people's humanity. And they also... Uh, are so young, they don't realize that um, they're not going to get away with it. Right? They're not going to get away with it. Uh, local media is reporting that Ezekiel Kelly pretended to need help before shooting the woman who tried to help him. Um, they, ma they managed to arrest him, by the way, after he crashed the vehicle that he carjacked after he killed the woman who stopped to help him. Uh, the arrest, says Andy No runs counter to Black Lives Matter and left-wing claims that black suspects are always shot dead. As a matter of fact, scroll down, Travis, to the bottom of that article that you just had up there and show the picture of him, the final picture that Fox News got of him. Look at that. That's after he's in custody. And he's grinning this artificial grin as wide as he can. After being taken into custody, that's the way he reacted. Totally devoid of any sense of humanity for other people. And of course, uh, as I've said so many times, you know, we can't imagine the mindset of a mass murderer, of a Ted Bundy, of a uh, Ezekiel, uh, whatever his name is here, Kelly. Uh, we can't really put ourselves in that kind of a mindset. And that's one of the things that makes us vulnerable not just to some thug on the street, but to a thug at Davos or a thug at Buckingham Palace or a thug at the White House. You know, we, we can't really imagine what these people are thinking. And we don't understand the technology that they've got either. Just like this lady didn't know that he had a gun with him. We can't even imagine the technology that is at the fingertips of these psychopaths on a global basis either. Big miscalculation not to realize that. Uh, so he kills four. He's identified uh, by much of the mainstream media as a teenager. He's 19. Uh, this guy's got a long rap sheet before he even uh, began doing this. Terrorized the city for more than 19 hours. Kelly is believed to have started his rampage about 12.56 a.m., shooting and killing a 24-year-old man in his driveway. Several hours after the initial shooting, 
he then started turning the gun on people at random, forcing locals to shelter in their homes. So I guess uh, he was angry at this guy, his friend. He, the two of them had had a fight earlier on. And uh, he'd thought about it, you know, the previous day, thought about it, decided he's going to kill this guy. Once he did, you know, people have different reactions. A lot of times somebody will, out of uh, anger that they've ginned up, uh, they'll kill friends, family, and uh, then kill themselves. Uh, But he decided that he was, um, after he thought about it, he decided that he would go out and live stream it on Facebook because they're going to get him anyway. So I'm just going to go out in a blaze of social media glory. So around 4.38 p.m., he then shot a man dead as he was sitting in his car on South Parkway East. Multiple times he shot him. Two minutes later, he fired his gun at a woman near uh, the interstate. She was rushed to the hospital with a bullet wound in the leg and was transported to hospital where she remains in stable condition. Kelly then opened fire at an AutoZone store uh, just before 6 p.m., And that's when he started the live stream horror on Facebook. He can be seen in the footage getting out of his car, walking into the store, pulling a gun to shoot a man inside the store twice. That man remains in hospital in critical condition. Uh, He then rants to the camera about no faking. He says, this excrement's for real on the live stream. And that's when people watching it, his friends, started reporting him to law enforcement. Uh, by the way, that three-year prison, he only served 11 months of that prison sentence that he got as an 18-year-old. It's unclear as to why he was released, but the Memphis mayor, Jim Strickland, slammed the courts for the decision. He also urged the public to hold him and other officials to account over violent crime in the city while saying the police were arresting the same people over and over again. He said, I welcome being held primarily responsible for lowering violent crime, but I do not have the authority over bonds, over state sentencing laws, over rehabilitation of people in prison. I need the public to hold other people accountable because I'm tired of our police officers arresting the same people over and over and over and those people committing violent acts. Initial chatter on Twitter suggested the murders racially motivated, but as I said, um, you know, it's uh, a mixed bag there. Uh, one person, as a matter of fact, put out a picture of uh, the young girl. I think it's the one who was shot in the back. Uh, black. And they said, this baby just turned 17 August the 25th. She won't see her 18th birthday because Ezekiel Kelly took her life tonight. Her father is on live pleading to the city of Memphis to stop the killing. Exactly. This is what it looks like when our society breaks down. When we have lost our moral foundations and when we have created a generation uh, that has, that uh, is a godless lovers of self. Boy, nothing says lover of self more than live streaming on Facebook. You're going around and randomly murdering other people. Just absolutely amazing. Uh, Mark Hansen, thank you for the tip on Rockfin. He says, love the podcast. Are you familiar with a document titled Silenced Weapons for Quiet Wars? It seemingly has the entire plan of the New World Order laid out in it. Yes, excellent. Um, Lewis Tart, thank you very much for the tip. He says, Dr. Simone Gold is being released right now. I didn't know that. Well, good, good. She should be let out early. She should never have been put in jail. And uh, as I said before, 
she didn't bring up the topic uh, when it came up, but she said, you know, this, this, I have a history with this judge. And she said, I really, you know, should have brought it up and had him recuse himself. She, she is a doctor and a lawyer. And so the two of them went to law school together. He asked her out and she refused. And she said um, he was really loaded for bear when he did the sentencing. But uh, anyway, that's good. I'm glad she's getting out now. Uh, should never have been in jail. Uh, Tucker Carlson, even before this happened uh, this with this guy, was saying our entire country will be Memphis. He was reacting to the abduction and murder of Eliza Fletcher, the uh, school teacher and heiress and young mother. Uh, he said, um, in the hours, part of this is uh, from his uh, transcript, and I thought it was good. Um, in the hours, said Tucker, after Eliza Fletcher's disappearance, Biden voters on social media seem to dismiss the crime on racial grounds. Why are we paying so much attention to the kidnapping of an attractive, privileged white woman? That's racist, they said. Others seem to blame Fletcher for the atrocity committed against her. Uh, why was she jogging at that hour anyway? In Memphis? Come on. Um, yeah, we've had an experience in Memphis. It wasn't this trip moving out here, but we decided that we would go there for famous ribs. Yeah, Memphis is famous for ribs. Let's find a restaurant. Uh, remember that, Travis? <laughs> oh, we, I do. Yeah, we, we dropped off the family and... Um, and then parked it. And then after dinner, Travis and I walked back. And what happened? <laughs> uh, there was a group of those black Hebrew Israelites out on the street yelling and ranting and raving. And I got called a white devil. So that was fun. Yeah. yeah. I think it was just because I was the whitest person in the vicinity. <laughs> like, oh, there he goes. That's him, the white devil. You were. They you were the whitest person. Whiter than that. <laughs> whiter skin color than me. Yeah. He, he was the white devil, you know, calling him out on a megaphone and everything. It's like, okay, there's a lot more of them than there are of us right here, right now. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, hey, Memphis, come on. You don't go jogging out there. You know, you got black Hebrew Israelites out there, whatever, right? Uh, but we've heard this type of thing before. The Central Park jogger, what is she doing jogging in Central Park, right? She should know better. It's her fault. And that's what he takes on here. He said the point they're making was clear. Everybody knows the rules. Eliza Fletcher violated those rules. You can't go outside in certain hours, in certain places in America. Obviously. And if you do, if you violate the rules, you run the risk of being raped and murdered. And that's how things work in this country. So adapt to it, accept it, and move on. He said, to some extent, if we're being honest, all of us feel that way. Whether we say it or not, we know what the rules are. We know what we can and cannot do in modern America, whether they spell it out or not. An American citizen, however, should be able to live or walk anywhere in America without being raped or murdered for it, period. I think that was why we created governments, right? Uh, didn't we create governments to protect our life and liberty? Except the government has become destructive of our life and liberty. Time to alter or abolish that government, actually. Uh, anyway, he said that's the baseline requirement for civilization. It's called order. But increasingly, that's not where we, what we have. What we have is a country where you just can't go some places. You're not wanted there. It's too dangerous for you to go. Most people accept this by default, but we should never accept this under any circumstances. To accept something is to concede that it is more or less 
normal. Once we acknowledge something as normal, whether it's children being castrated in the name of trans rights or women being murdered by rapists who should have been in prison but weren't because of equity, once we accept that as normal, we're stuck with it forever. It becomes a new status quo, and it will never change except to get worse. Well, I would say that we could say that about the masks too, right? The new normal, everything about the new normal that happened to us that was instituted by Benedict Donald. Uh, the new masks, you know, mask everywhere. We'll talk about this coming up. Boy, they put up a sign to ease up on, um, you know, because uh, New Yorkers have been uh, so afraid and have jumped into all this stuff so much of trying to stop people from attacking other people because they're not wearing their mask or not wearing it appropriately. And so uh, the Metro put up signs about that, and people are attacking the Metro over that. Because that's the new normal. You better wear your mask, and you better wear it properly. And you better get your vaccine, and you better report it, and you better have an ID showing that you got it. And when the government says to lock down, you lock down and you shut up, even if it means that you don't have a job or a business. Don't worry. We'll make it a little bit easy for you. We'll give you some welfare payments, universal basic income. We cannot accept the new normal because then we get stuck with it forever. Like we're stuck with this executive order for 909 days that Tucker doesn't talk about, that the Republican politicians don't talk about, that nobody has any interest in getting rid of. That executive order that's been there for 909 days that is the foundation of the student loan forgiveness program that they say, well, that's inflationary, it's unfair, it's this, it's that. Yeah, it's a new entitlement program by executive order. What's that executive order based on? It's based on Trump's executive order. Trump, who started the dumpster fire, the Trumpster fire, and then Biden, who comes in and keeps pouring our fuel on it, making it bigger and worse. Biden has been silent, by the way, on the Memphis massacre, even though he was very quick to jump in on other shootings in Buffalo and other places like that. Uh, he didn't say much about, if anything, about the Waukesha uh, killing. We shouldn't involve a gun, uh, but um, uh, anyway, this is, um, I think we spent enough time on this. You understand what is going on here, and we could show you the pictures of the victims, but it is, um, it's just disturbing. We're going to take a quick break, and then we come back. I want to talk about CBDC. This is the week that everybody turned in their reports. Every single three-letter agency and every bureaucracy in Washington was ordered by Biden six months ago to turn in their report this week. They've turned them in. I talked about the different aspects of it yesterday. Uh, they have specialization from different groups, some of them talking about the technology and the security, others talking about how they want to completely re-engineer all of our financial system and payment. I mean, we're not just talking about changing the dollar. They're talking about changing everything financially. And that has been in view from day one by the Biden administration. That's why they put in Omarova, a hardcore Marxist, a graduate of literally a graduate of uh, Lenin University and uh, in Russia, pre-communist. She's a hardcore Marxist, wanted her to redesign our entire banking and financial system. And uh, so you have uh, the redesign of the system, the technology that's involved. and. Um, then, of course, um, the law enforcement aspect of it, the people who are going to be uh, the uh, thugs with the, uh, the batons to enforce it, to confiscate stuff from us. 
I think that's going to be a lot of the uh, use of the IRS. But nevertheless, that was the third aspect of it. And then the fourth aspect of it was you really want this because it's going to save the environment. Which brings us to Ethereum and what is going to be happening with Ethereum. Going from a proof-of-work concept to a proof-of-stake. Uh, think about it as uh, stakeholders, right? You hear that all the time, don't you? Uh, the stakeholders will decide what's going to happen. Not we the people, the stakeholders. They, the government, they, the billionaires, they, the elitist against we the people. We're not stakeholders anymore in our own society. These people are holding all the stakes, and they're going to hold even more if we let them. So the proof of stake, I'll define. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson, or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing, help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Paramedics do the incredible. They help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that may give your kid's music teacher the chance to see your son play in the season opener or give your mechanic the chance to give his best man speech. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and receive up to $1,000 your first month. Varies by location and is subject to change. And that for you when we come back. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Decoding the mainstream propaganda. It's the David Knight Show. All right, and we have a comment by Atomic Dog saying that Atomic Dog is sitting in the dog park uh, listening to me. <laughs> so, um, and he's having a good time, he says. So, I'm glad you are. Uh, it would be nice to have the dogs in here, but um, they <laughs> probably pull the cameras down. Uh, who knows what they might do. Uh, accidentally, of course. I think we might could train Scout to push the buttons. Yeah, I think we probably could. Uh, <laughs> he's smarter than most of us, that's for sure. Uh, Ethereum is the most likely base layer for global CBDC, central bank digital currency, says Mark Jeftovic. Uh, his website is bombthrower.com, but of course you can also find this on Zero Hedge. They picked this up. He says, outside of China, no major nation has anything else that's even ready. And he first makes a case. He says, um, you know, this, this is something that they may need pretty quickly. And he has a little um, vignette here at the beginning of the story, which I'm going to read to you, which I think describes how this could happen very suddenly. Now, how do you go bankrupt? Well, as the Hemingway character said, uh, somebody asked a, a very wealthy 
Hemingway character who had gone bankrupt. How did you go bankrupt? And he goes, well, gradually, then suddenly, this is how this type of thing is typically going to run out. Uh, they are making all their plans, and then they're going to drop the hammer one day very suddenly. Uh, imagine, if you will, persistent double-digit inflation, energy costs soaring, shortages causing blackouts across Europe, bond yields spiking uncontrollably, supply chains grinding to a halt while sovereign debt crises erupt the world over. Well, you don't need much of an imagination to see that, do you? Uh, so we're pretty close to that. Imagine that it uh, just edges a little bit more. Then one Friday after the markets close, heading into a long weekend, an emergency broadcast occurs in which the president, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, and the Speaker of the House appear on national TV to announce that pursuant to the statutory bail-ins uh, provision of the 2010 Dodd-Frank bill, a banking holiday would take place over the following week. During the holiday, certain bank liabilities would be converted into FedCoin, an ERC-20 token on the Ethereum blockchain, at the rate of 10 Fed per $1. Because, you know, that'll, that'll make you feel wealthy. You know, it used to be when the, when the boys were really young. Um, uh, <laughs> exchange them. Okay, this is a dollar. You got a $10 bill. Give that to me. And uh, I'll give you, you know, I gave them nine ones. They thought they had so much more money. So, you know, you chain your $1 uh, bill and uh, for each of those that you've got in your bank account or whatever, they're going to give you 10 of these new ones. All right. Look at that. Bigger numbers. Uh, every depositor would have an NFT issued to their social security number. Uh, that would give them access to their Fed coin via the sign-on with Ethereum protocol, depositors would have to stake their Ethereum to access the full benefits of FedCoin. However, any suboptimal social behaviors, such as being behind on current vaccinations or running your air conditioning too cold, could result in slashing of having a portion of your staked assets burned. Similar announcements are being made elsewhere in Canada, uh, Prime Minister Freeland <laughs> and her finance minister uh, announced the creation of Loon Coin, <laughs> invoking the bank recapitalization conversion regulations from 2018, while in Australia they refer to the financial sector legislation amendment bill of 2017. You see, they've all, Australia, Canada, the U.S., they've all laid that foundation. And we see what is happening globally. It's not that far from his imagined crisis that they could use. And they have, uh, going back to 2010, 2017, 2018, laid the foundation for this stuff. Just as I would add, they laid the foundation for the 2020 lockdowns being run through the state governments. They laid that foundation back in 2001 with Dark Winter, the simulation. Two months later, the false flag of the anthrax attack. Two months after that, the legislation, Model State Health Emergency Powers Act that they sent out and the um, to tell the states, here, enact this legislation so we don't have to worry about the legal issues of us doing it from Washington. We can do it through you, and we'll send you money to do that, and we'll keep sending you money. 
if you do what we want you to do, which is to be as draconian as possible. And that's exactly what Trump did. Followed the plan that was laid there by the people back in 2001. Bipartisan. Bipartisan plan. It happened under Bush, but it happened, you know. Yeah, but um, we're told, because Eric told us, Eric Trump said, yeah, we're getting rid of these dynastic families in American politics. We got rid of the Bushes, you know, Jeb Bush and those guys. Um, you know, we just got rid of the Cheneys the other day. We got rid of the Clintons, beat them, beat the Bushes. Now we beat the Cheneys. We're getting rid of those people. Except he's doing the same thing that uh, the Bushes did. Across the G20, each leader is calling their national initiative part of the great restructuring. That's uh, his uh, scenario of how this could happen very rapidly. That's why we need to anticipate this. And again, um, we're going to talk about Bitcoin and other things. You know, Tony, who was on yesterday and, and uh, supports this program with davidknight.gold, uh, Tony says, you know, I don't think uh, Bitcoin is done. Uh, and when you look at Bitcoin versus Ethereum, uh, it looks a lot better uh, from what is happening and about to happen with Ethereum and the connections with the Ethereum Foundation to Davos. Uh, so the only one that Tony uses is uh, Bitcoin, if you want to get into crypto. Personally, uh, I don't trust any of the crypto stuff that much. I mean, I've, we do put up a Bitcoin thing if anybody wants to contribute. We've had a couple of people you know, give us $5, $10, $20 um, on uh, Bitcoin. Nobody's given me $8 million like they did uh, Alex Jones. <laughs> I wonder who that was. Uh, who, who is it that's buying influence with him at $8 million a pop? Anyway, um, so we're into the game, says uh, Jeff Tovic. We're into the end game for late-stage globalism, and things are moving fast. Decades of increasingly centralized fiat-based plunder are now coming to a head, and the system is unraveling very quickly. Many commentators are positing a monetary end game scenario in which the Fed and other central banks really do lose control of the bond market. Uh, the 100 to uh, 150 to 300 trillion dollars, depending on what you include, of global debt imploding, and the financial system itself enters a collapse that's been serially postponed since the dot-com bust. So he said, uh, and of course, just to recap, the real issues with central bank digital currencies, and, and these are things. This is not well. You know what they could do if they got this stuff. Uh, they could do this and they could do that. It's not us saying this. They're saying this. All these things are coming from their meetings uh, from the uh, central bankers in the UK listed these things. You know, we could have an expiration date on the cash. The people in China say, you know, we could control what people do and say. We could punish them or reward them or whatever. Uh, all these things have been publicly said by them. And it's not by us. It's not by this guy, Jeff Devick. It's not by me. We're not theorizing about this stuff. We're reporting to you what their plans are. What they've publicly said, what they've said privately, I'm sure is much worse. But this is what they publicly boasted about being able to do. Expiry dates on cash, negative interest rates on savings, programmability over where, when, who, and why you get to spend money. And I would say also on what you get to spend money on. All of those things. Where, when, who, why, and what. <laughs> Control everything about it. Transla transaction level, reporting, tracking, and taxation. In other words, we're going to report, track, and tax every transaction that you do instantly. Quotas 
limits, restrictions, the ability to add or to remove funds remotely by central authorities. So he said the problem is is that uh, nobody has actually deployed this. Everybody's working on it. You've had two countries, at least, uh, small countries, but he mentions here Nigeria and Venezuela. I think there was a third one somewhere who tried to deploy it and uh, didn't work. Uh, They didn't have the muscle or the will to enforce it. Even China's digital yuan that debuted during the Olympics got uh, pretty weak reviews. Nobody wants it, you see. That's one of the reasons why they're adding the environmental thing. Oh, we got to do it to save the planet. And uh, they'll be able to uh, get Prince Charles or King George or whatever he calls himself uh, to jump in on that as well. Uh, Whatever gets adapted to be the rails for the globally interconnected CBDCs We'll leave footprints, big ones. So what he's saying is we're going to see the people who pay attention to Bitcoin and the crypto space, they're going to see this kind of stuff coming um, from a long way off. Uh, But he says uh, so far, the projects that are out there really haven't been effective. Uh, You've got a Canadian project called Project Jasper. Uh, It's um, not ready. Some of these things have stalled. And in Project Jasper, Uh, The first phase of it actually included, uh, phase one was Ethereum. And um, the phase two is supposed to go to uh, something called Corda, a uh, distributed ledger system. Uh, But they actually included Ethereum in their first phase in Canada. Uh, So, as Jeffovic says, uh, so enter Ethereum. Since these people are having technical issues to put this stuff in, maybe they'll just say, well, you know, we could just adapt Ethereum. And Ethereum is very open to being adapted very quickly. As a matter of fact, they're going to have a major restructuring happening, like I said, within a week. Uh, The preferred cryptocurrency of central banks and the World Economic Forum is Ethereum. He points out that we see these um, uh, supranational and uh, NGO meetings uh, from the World Bank to the IMF, to the World Economic Forum. He said they'll talk about Bitcoin, but they're always hostile to it. They'll say, well, uh, this is what it could do, but there's these problems with it. And let's talk about the alternatives. Uh, going so far in the World Economic Forum as to declare in 2017 that by 2020, Bitcoin would consume more power than the entire world does. Did that happen? Did that happen? It didn't happen in 2020. Didn't happen in 2021. Didn't happen in 2022. I see this kind of stuff all the time. You know, Bitcoin is going to, just the mining of Bitcoin is going to consume more power than all of Texas and all. They continue with all that. Why? Because that's going to be, like I said, there's four different components to what the the American um, bureaucracy has been charged into looking into with Biden. There is how they want the financial system to be restructured. There's the technology of how they're going to do the actual implementation of it. So the big picture system, the details of the technology, the enforcement arm, and then the fourth area is how they're going to sell it to the public. And they'll sell it as being green, green. And Bitcoin is a threat to us all because it uses too much power. And they're going to be starving us of power. They're going to make it so difficult for us to power the grid that we're all going to be fighting over it just like we fight over food. And we'll probably be fighting over food if they take away our fuel as well. 
but people will be fighting mad over somebody wasting energy. And so they'll be fighting mad about Bitcoin because it's going to consume too much energy. And they said back in um, uh, 2017 that uh, Bitcoin mining would consume more power than the entire rest of the world. Of course, that didn't happen. And that was coming from the World Economic Forum. So it's interesting, he said, to notice that a cryptocurrency uh, that these international bodies and central banks are not openly hostile to has been traditionally Ethereum. As hostile as they are to Bitcoin, they like Ethereum. The main thrust of Canada's CBDC development, Project Jasper, as I just pointed out, a partnership between the Bank of Canada, Payments Canada, R3, and big banks, phase one was built on top of Ethereum. Uh, So far, Norway and Israel have started their CBD development using Ethereum. In 2021, a Chinese banking official made the case for deploying CBDC on Ethereum. And in the World Economic Forum meeting in 2020, one of the Ethereum co-founders and consensus CEO, Joseph Lubin, presented a white paper making the case for Ethereum to be the rails for CBDC, what it's going to run on. Okay, and so um, he said as he, this excerpt of his speech here, as the World Economic Forum meets in Davos for the 50th time, it does so against the backdrop of a sea change in the mechanics of money. Below, we provide both an overview of CBDC and a concrete example of how CBDC might be implemented on an Ethereum blockchain. We believe that Ethereum is the best-suited blockchain network for the kind of maximally secure, global-scale, interoperable settlement platforms that CBDC requires. But we are well aware that there are many other possibilities. To be clear, I'm not one of those people who thinks the World Economic Forum is some all-powerful cabal that controls everything, uh, says uh, Jeff Tevick. So that was the, the quote from... Uh, the person at the World Economic Forum, but this is uh, Jeff Tevick saying, I, I don't think it's all-powerful world cabal. However, uh, even as you say that, you have to admit, and he does admit, that what happens in Davos doesn't stay in Davos. Their agenda truly does exert outsized influence, at least for now. And they do set the tone for what is fashionable among technocrats, authoritarians, and the Malthusians and the elite circles. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, you can call it what you want, but we know the power that it has. So getting back to Ethereum, he says it's well suited for the use for the case of a global CBDCs, uh, different ERC 20 tokens can be issued for multiple types of things for stable coins, for universal basic income, for food stamps, for carbon quotas, for social credit. All of these underpinned by Ethereum at the base level. One that has a proven track record of being willing to switch monetary policy on the fly and isn't afraid to hard fork itself out of a jam. In other words, to make a very uh, major hard fork, a very major turn in the design of uh, the crypto. For the push into digital IDs, an ERC-721 style NFT is well suited. He says, at first glance, this runs counter to what I've been saying. 
My theory was that in the future, the way you would be able to differentiate between a decentralized digital bearer asset and a CBDC would be whether or not you had custody of private keys, you had a private wallet or not. He says, maybe I was wrong about that since anybody can hold their own wallets for Ethereum. However, we should expect that the plebes would be incentivized to custody their private keys of the banking partners or with the system. There might even be incentives for doing that, like an extra meat allowance or permission to take an additional flight each year. The Ethereum ecosystem is already telegraphing a willingness to comply with the central state dictums. The coming move to a proof of stake is a flat-out ESG-inspired. Just what I was saying. The rationale for going from proof of work to proof of stake, and remember the whole fundamental thing behind uh, principle and idea behind Bitcoin was uh, we want to get away from fiat currencies. We want to get away from something where somebody says, well, this is by declaration, this is what this is worth. We want to get away from centralized control. So they said, well, we're going to do this by uh, showing a proof of work and having people process these transactions in a distributed way that proof of work will earn the people who are processing those transactions. We'll call them miners. It will earn them coins. It'll be like they're mining coins. And so they're getting rid of that. They're going to an alternative system, a proof of stake system. And I'll talk more about that in just a second. Uh, they call it the merge, the merge. Of course, you know, proof of stake, you see this put everywhere. It's POS. It occurs to me that there is another thing that is referred to by the initials P-O-S, <laughs> which I think is what this is all about. Um, so uh, outwardly, it could be branded as a decentralized, inclusive digital money, while in reality being highly concentrated and censored at the transaction level. Similar to how the World Economic Forum brags that they've penetrated the cabinets of many governments, the Venn diagram of the World Economic Forum and of the upper echelons of the Ethereum Foundation already intersect in a few places. In addition to the aforementioned pitch by the Ethereum co-founder, Joseph Lubin, the Ethereum Foundation's executive director is an agenda contributor to the World Economic Forum. So just as he's got his people in all these different governments everywhere, he's got his people all there inside Ethereum. The Enterprise Ethereum Alliance is a who's who of big tech, Wall Street, and corporate bigwigs, including J.P. Morgan, Microsoft, uh, Bank of New York, Mellon, Ernst & Young, even FedEx. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. MFS Investment Management. Our active 360 approach to fixed income goes beyond analyzing financials. We combine active security selection and risk management, striving to make the most of complex bond markets. MFS.com slash active 360. We're all part of the Ethereum Alliance. The Ethereum core devs, 
developers have no issues radically restructuring its underlying fundamentals to suit the winds and to suit the whims of circumstances. From its initial ICO, initial coin offering, uh, to insiders, it was launched with an unlimited supply, very different from uh, Bitcoin, which has a finite number of coins that will be put out there. It had an unlimited supply. So again, that rings a lot of bells with the central bankers. Uh, they don't like to have any limits on the number of coins out there. Uh, so from its initial launch with an unlimited supply to bailing themselves out after they were hacked, uh, after being hacked, Ethereum has a whatever-it-takes approach that is the opposite of an immutable hard asset with a finite supply like Bitcoin. If circumstances arise where an infinitely expandable money supply is desired or required, they can just change the system again and again and again. Contrast that with Bitcoin, which truly is decentralized, has an immutable hard cap that cannot be changed. If there are dissident factions, like they had during the what they call the block size wars, for example, it gets settled with a hard fork and people can choose which way they want to go. So they have a market approach. Uh, note that there is already even a proof-of-stake version of Bitcoin. So if we truly value democracy over coercion, and if proof-of-stake is demonstrably better than Bitcoin's core proof-of-work, then we should see a Bitcoin too in due course. Unless this is being decided by a cabal. That's what I'm saying. Uh, he doesn't say that. Uh, I built, he says, this back to his uh, Jeftovic uh, uh, article. He says, I built my previous work around the great bifurcation. And I theorized a coming two-tier society. I posited that UBI, universal basic income, would be inevitable. And the rails for it would be a CBDC that doubled as a Chinese-style social credit system. Everything that's unfolded since then has reinforced that belief. What I may not have foreseen, he says, was what the rails for the CBDC could very well, that they could very well be Ethereum or a co-opted version of it. So what he's saying is, uh, you could see that they were going to have a, um, uh, they're going to have to have CBDC to run this um, financial system where they control you. They're going to have to have CBDC for that. It's fundamental. Just like Catherine Austin Fitz says, it's really about the banking system. That's, you have to understand what they're doing in order to get the overall blueprint. I mean, I'm focused on trying to stop them from killing people right now with this damn Trump vaccine. Uh, but uh, the big picture, the big roadmap is financial. Uh, the medical stuff is just the depopulation side of this. But uh, the big roadmap is financial. CBDC is the infrastructure for that, the rails, as he likes to call it, for that. But he says uh, what he didn't foresee was that the rails, the infrastructure for the CBDC, could be Ethereum. He says, where Bitcoin reached escape velocity and broke the here-to-stay barrier through the sheer honey badger belligerence, Ethereum seems to be getting there by playing the game. I stopped thinking of Ethereum as immutable some time ago. And certainly not as a digital hard asset the way that I do Bitcoin. Again, you know, Tony Arterman, uh 
only gets involved with Bitcoin, it says. And, um, you know, but I, I prefer gold and silver. And if you want to get it from Tony, he's graciously set up uh, davidknight.gold to help you get there. Remember it. And it also, he uh, knows that you are coming through me. He does uh, uh, help us hear the program with a commission. Crypto miners are talking about Ethereum's move to a proof of stake. So let's talk about that and what that means. Ethereum, the second biggest cryptocurrency in terms of trade volume, is about to implement a huge change dubbed the merge, a shift that has crypto miners shaking in their boots, says Gizmodo. Uh, the Ethereum blockchain is expected to move from a proof-of-work to a proof-of-stake model in less than a week following years of delay. And, of course, it's going to happen very quickly, and a lot, of, a lot of people are not really talking about this. And the justification for all this is to save the planet. And that's what they're talking about in this Gizmodo article. Oh, it's going to be great. Uh, we got to do it for, remember I said, of those four different things, you know, how, how is the financial system going to be designed? Who's going to be controlling it? You know, system design, then the technology details of how it's going to be implemented, the law enforcement aspect of it. And then the key thing is going to be how they're going to sell it to people. They're going to sell it as being green, uh, CBDCs. And so that's how they're doing this with Ethereum. They say that they are going to be able to uh, drop energy requirements by 99% because nobody will be doing any work. So how do they validate this? Well, they validate it by having um, uh, stakeholders, uh, people who have, are trusted people to uh, determine. You know, just, yeah, I think that's good. <laughs> I mean, there's more to it than that, but that basically is how it breaks down. Here's how one person described it. They went through... Uh, this person in his post went through about six or seven different cryptocurrencies right now that use proof of stake. And what he did was he put the logos of the corporations and organizations and the NGOs that were the people who were the stakeholders who were authorizing the transactions. Again, no miners, no work, but it's going to be some people who are going to authorize that. And so he said, just look at this. Currency, cryptocurrency after cryptocurrency, showing the corporations, the NGOs primarily, who are going to be doing that. And he said, and he said, do you see the pattern? Because a lot of the logos kept repeating over and over again. He said, right now, proof of stake is becoming more and more centralized. Not the blockchains itself, but the validators. The same validators are validating across multiple different networks. And it makes sense after all. They can have dedicated hardware and marketing teams, etc., just to do that. And honestly, probably it is extremely profitable, but it creates one huge problem. We became dependent of a few set of people and companies that are validating transactions across multiple blockchains. And why is that a problem? Well, it becomes more and more of a problem because we need to trust them. The system of trust, just like we trust the Federal Reserve, and we trust the government, and we trust Trump, or we trust Biden, depending on which tribe you're in. Let us have no more talk of trust, said Patrick Henry, but let us bind them down with the chains of the Constitution. Anyway, why is that a problem? Well, it's a system of trust, and secondly, it stops being censorship resistant. 
If governments across the world just want to delete Bitcoin or Monero from existence, they couldn't. They would be able to tank the price probably, but they wouldn't have that much of an effect. But with these validators, this should be decentralized, but it isn't. You can easily see where most of these people live, and honestly, you can easily track basically all the validators of a network from their websites, especially the governments. It's just governments, it's non-governmental organizations, NGOs, it's corporations, others that are doing this stuff, and it's the same ones who are doing it. See a problem with that? Uh, maybe we could have uh, Klaus Schwab validate all of our transactions for us, right? It becomes so much easier for governments to become able to interfere with the blockchain, and just like that, the censorship resistance aspect of blockchain technology no longer exists. I know you wouldn't be able to just delete the blockchain by going after the validators, but you could have so much impact that basically all proof-of-stake blockchains would fall in line. Fall in line. Well, it's not just the uh, blockchain aspect of it, but it is also the inflation aspect of it. Inflation is state-sponsored terrorism. This is a speech from the president of the Mises Institute, Jeff Deist. He called inflation state-sponsored terrorism. He said, inflationism is both a fiscal and a monetary regime, but its consequences go far beyond economics. Uh, understanding how it terrorizes us is the task today. He says, um, if COVID had not come along, there is a pretty good chance that Donald Trump would have been reelected. Things are pretty good economically in 2019. Uh, but of course, it wasn't just COVID. And um, the president of the Mises Foundation understands that. I mean, he's not saying, well, COVID did it to us. No, he understands that it was the reaction, uh, the plans that uh, Trump did. You know, it's not it's not Putin. It's not COVID doing these things. It's what the people who are react, their reactions to it, the programs that they're putting out there. If you think Americans are divided today and at each other's throats metaphorically, but more and more literally, well, imagine if they were cold and hungry. Imagine if we had to live through something like the Weimar Republic or Argentina in the 1980s or Zimbabwe in the 2000s or Venezuela or Turkey today. What would our political and social divisions look like then? And he's uh, making this speech, by the way, to the uh, Ron Paul Institute. So he says, ladies and gentlemen, we live under the tyranny of inflationism. And it terrorizes us, either softly or loudly. And I suspect it'll get a lot louder soon. Uh, it's a policy that creates fear, is his point. He says, first of all, inflation is a policy, and we should make them own it. It is a policy. They did it intentionally. He says, both Trump and Biden signed off on COVID stimulus bills, which combined injected roughly $7 trillion. well, $8 trillion, according to my count and others. Uh, but he says that this is a policy. Inflation is a policy. Inflation is engineered. Secondly, inflation is nothing less than sanctioned state terror. And we ought to treat it as such. It is criminal. It makes us live in fear. That's what he's talking about, right? Uh, you can use force or fear to create economic and political goals. That's a definition, textbook definition of terrorism. It doesn't have to necessarily be violence. It could just be the threats of violence or bad things happening to you. And that's what he's pointing out. To keep you in a state of fear, 
and uncertainty and to um, you know threaten you with losing everything. That is uh, why he calls inflation terrorism. Inflation is not just an economic issue, but it produces deep cultural and societal sickness in any society that it touches. It makes business planning and entrepreneurship, which rely on profit and loss calculations, using money pricing. It makes it far more difficult and risky. And of course, so does ESG, right? No, no, don't care about making profits or anything uh, independent, anything that measures performance. We're going to get rid of that. No, no, no. Your success is going to be based because of ESG. Your success is going to be based on your compliance to our agenda. Anyway, so inflation destroys both existing wealth and future wealth. And here's the unspoken truth. It also makes us worse people. How is that? Well, he says it degrades us morally. It forces us to choose current consumption over thrift. Economists call this uh, time preference, uh, preferring material things today at the expense of saving or investing. It makes us live for the present at the expense of the future. The opposite of what all healthy societies do. That's a very key insight. Because we're not looking at our children, our grandchildren, having a better life than we are financially. Higher standard of living, more comfort, that type of thing. Those, these material issues. And, um, and that's what our society has been. Our society has been focused on materialism. And so because of that, I think God is taking these things away from us. But it is an unhealthy thing to not be focused on your children. A healthy society is one where the hearts of the fathers are turned toward the children. Uh, no. Instead, this is a society where everybody is trying to get what they can now. And that kills us in a lot of different ways. But I'm going to finish here in this segment before we take a break with a, a story about the diary of a woman who went through the uh, Weimar Republic and the things that happened in Germany with World War I and World War II. A book that he refers to here in his speech is called When Money Dies. The author is Adam Ferguson, if you want to look it up. And he said uh, one chapter in it was particularly poignant, and that was the description of a Viennese widow named Anna Eisenminger. And um, she had a diary, and he included uh, excerpts from that diary in his book, When Money Dies. He talks about uh, privation and degradation, not only in Germany, but also the Austrians and Hungarians grappling with their own political upheavals and things like that. And, the, uh, and in this diary, you can kind of see what happens to this one individual, uh, 1910, 1920. Just like we see, as Stalin said, um, you know, millions of people dying is a statistic, but one person dying is a tragedy. Well, here's what it looks like in the Weimar Republic to one person. The story starts with her having a comfortable life as the wife of a doctor and a mother to a wonderful daughter and three sons. They're talented, cultured, musical, and upper middle class. They even socialize with the Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife. But in May 1914, their family, their happy life is shattered. Uh, the Archduke Ferdinand is assassinated in Sarajevo, and war breaks out. 
wars cost money, and the gold standard, wisely adopted by the Austria-Hungary uh, Empire in 1892, is almost immediately seen as an impediment. So the government predictably begins to issue war bonds in huge numbers, and the central bank fires up the printing presses. The result is a 16-fold increase in prices just during the war years. But the human effects are catastrophic, apart from the war itself. Frau Eisenminger is luckier than most Viennese women. She owns small investments which produce modest income, fixed in Cronin. Her banker quietly urges her to immediately exchange any funds for Swiss francs. She demurs as um, dealing in foreign currency has been made illegal. But soon she realizes that he was right. There's probably a lesson here for all of us. As the war unfolds, she is forced into black markets and into pawning assets to procure food for her war-damaged children. Her currency and Austrian bonds become almost worthless. She exchanges her husband's gold watch for potatoes and coal. The downward spiral of her life, marked by hunger and hoarding, anything with real value, happens so quickly that she barely has time to adjust. But her misery doesn't stop with the end of the war. On the contrary, the St. Germain Treaty in 1919 gives way to a period of hyperinflation post-World War I. The money supply increases from 12 to 30 billion Cronin in 1920 to about 147 billion Cronin by the end of 1921. So it's gone up by a factor of more than 10. Uh, how, does this sound like America in 2020, by the way? By August 1922, consumer prices are 14,000 times greater than before the start of the war eight years earlier. In just a few short years, she endures countless tragedies, all made worse by privation, cold, and hunger. Her husband dies. Her daughter contracts tuberculosis and dies, leaving Frau Eisenminger to take care of her infant daughter and young son. One son goes missing in the war. One son is blinded, and her son-in-law becomes crippled, following the loss of both legs. Food and coal are rationed, so her apartment is a miserable hovel, and she is forced to dodge searches by the food police. The food police. Looking for illegal hoarding. Ultimately, she's shot in the lung by her own communist son, Carl, in a fit of rage. Yeah. There is a haunting, historically accurate silent film about the conditions in Vienna during this era called The Joyless Street, starred a young Greta Garbo. Her character sees everything deteriorate around her. Even her father beats her with his cane for returning home without food. Once friendly neighbors become suspicious of each other's stores of bread and cheese, while prostitution becomes rampant. Angry people jostle in line, waiting for the butcher to open. When he does... Only the most attractive women receive the scraps of meat available that day. Fistfights become common. Starving children beg for food in front of the restaurants and cafes like stray dogs. Everything familiar and beautiful in society becomes degraded and cheapened overnight. Like a Stephen King horror film, something very familiar changes into a strange and menacing place. Your neighborhood takes on a different light. People you thought you knew became malevolent strangers. Scapegoating, blame, and snitching become commonplace. 
So he points out in this speech, he said, we have to explain inflationism in human terms. We have to personalize it. We need to, as he put it, de-bamboozleize it. <laughs> uh, we need to point out that monetary policy has real consequences for our lives. Don't let them hide behind complex Federal Reserve speak the simple reality uh, that monetary policy is nothing less than criminal theft from future generations. That's right. A second, ridicule the absurd idea that policy can make us richer. More goods and services produced more and more efficiently thanks to capital are the answer. And that's what they're trying to shut down, oil, coal, and gas, right? They can't finesse their way out of this. They can't policy their way out of this. They can't subsidize their way out of this. If they shut down the supply, we're done. And that's what they're doing. Did it the first day of the Biden administration? Escalated it with these sanctions in response to Putin. All right, we're going to take a quick break. MFS Investment Management. Our active 360 approach to fixed income goes beyond analyzing financials. We combine active security selection and risk management, striving to make the most of complex bond markets. MFS.com slash active 360. MFS Investment Management. Our active 360 approach to fixed income goes beyond analyzing financials. We combine active security selection and risk management, striving to make the most of complex bond markets. MFS.com slash active 360. And we'll be right back. Uh, don't forget, davidknight.gold. Take you to Tony. Deceit. Telling the truth is a revolutionary act. You're listening to The David Knight Show. All right. Uh, Handy. How you doing, Handy? Uh, Thank you for the tip. He says, Mr. Knight, it's beginning of my 44th trip around the sun today. (laughs) Oh, happy birthday. Uh, Happy birthday, Handy. Uh, He says, here's a gift. (laughs) He sent me a gift for his birthday. That's how birthdays work, right? Uh, Got any birthday wisdom? Uh, well, I've had even more of them than you have. <laughs> I ought to, I'd have some wisdom to tell you, but I, I don't really, I guess uh, the key thing is, you know, live every day as if it's your last. And, uh, even more importantly than that, which everybody uh, says, even more importantly, uh, live every day in eager anticipation of standing before God, uh, because, uh, you will, you will. And if you live it that way, you will really will enjoy life. Uh, Disney's Bob Iger said that he abandoned a 2016 Twitter deal. They were going to, Disney was going to buy it when Bob Iger was running it. They said, yeah, we thought it'd be a good fit. Uh, we thought it would be an efficient way to distribute Disney's content worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. Just own a social media thing, the big one. And, um, or a big one anyway. Uh, and so he said, but we looked at it. (laughs) And that came to the same conclusion that Elon Musk did before they, they did due diligence. Actually, that's what that's called. Uh, they did due diligence before they actually put the money down. That's the problem that Elon Musk has got. 
that impetuousness there. Uh, so they looked at it and they said, uh, well, we decided that a substantial portion, not a majority, but a substantial portion of the users were fake, indicating that he had to discount the company's value because of the bots. <laughs> so uh, he said, interestingly enough, because I'd read the news these days, we did look very carefully at all of the Twitter users. I guess they're called users. And we, at that point, estimated with some of Twitter's help that a substantial portion, not a majority, were not real. I don't remember the number, but we discounted the value heavily. But that was built into our economics. Actually, the deal that we had was pretty cheap. <laughs> so he's saying that Musk overpaid, that Musk didn't do his due diligence. But a lot of people are saying, well, this is a gold nugget of information for Musk. I don't know that it necessarily helps him. I mean, this isn't based on whether or not uh, this is a... Um, whether or not their Twitter is real, none of this stuff is real. <laughs> you know, that's the it's a, it's an illusion. They've already started putting us into a virtual reality if we want to hang out so much time on social media. That's why I I put up videos there, but I don't really hang out. And it's to the point now where it annoys me so much uh, uh, the comments that I see there that I just don't have any patience for it anymore. Um, last time, and it, it typically happens when I post up a video about Trump. Uh, or about Alex. Now it used to be more about Trump. Now it's more about Alex. You know, if, if you disagree with what he's telling people or you point out to people, Hey, you know what? Yeah, you've been had, uh, he knew what he was doing and, um, you know, he grifted you. If you put up stuff like that, you get a lot of, uh, Alex fans. And, uh, and I think it's kind of interesting. I guess the people who are Trump fans, have, you know, kind of moved on to other platforms, uh, to a great deal. Uh, but, um, you know, when I see that kind of stuff, I just don't have any patience for it anymore anyway. Um, people who are bots, people who are, uh, you know, people who work for InfoWars or whatever with different names. Uh, but um, there's a lot of phony stuff out there. Let's talk a little bit about censorship. We had an MSNBC reporter who is uh, saying, you know, you shouldn't look at both sides of an issue. You really shouldn't. We want to say that there's two sides to every issue. Well, we shouldn't look at two sides on every issue. Here's what he has to say. There are two words we need to remove from our media vocabulary right now, and that is both sides. This fundamental crutch, this reliance on both sides as a kind of lazy way of covering our political moment is deeply dangerous. There are a bunch of major issues in which there are not both sides. There are not both sides on climate change. There are not both sides on, <laughs> not both there sides are not on, both sides on democracy. Ben, there are not both sides on the Holocaust. I mean, we live in America where in South Lake, Texas, school district. Uh, here he goes. He's going to go off on a Holocaust jag. But look, uh, yeah, there's not two sides on democracy. I mean, uh, my you know. question is, where's that accent from? We live in America. <laughs> Why are you here then? Go back. Yeah, exactly. He, he wants to. Here's how you should run everything. Uh, you, should, <laughs> you should run it the way I did. Well, you know, we just had um, Travis. We just had um, Nikki Haley campaigning for uh, Oz, Mehmet Oz. Uh, Mehmet Oz has dual citizenship in Turkey. He doesn't want to give up his Turkish citizenship unless he gets elected, and then he'll have to do it to get to the secure documents. Nikki Haley, uh, your family from India, she's uh, very much tied into that. But you know that's neither here nor there. That doesn't mean that she couldn't align herself with um, American values. She doesn't. She's a neocon, a dangerous globalist neocon. That's why I mentioned her. But she's there campaigning for Oz. And she said, Travis, that um, the uh, legal immigrants 
are the best citizens, the most patriotic, I think, is the way she put it there. Uh, because, you know, they're, they're better than us. They, they know more than people whose families have been here for hundreds of years. Remember, it's uh, important to qualify who makes a good citizen based on who's willing to work cheaper. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the reality is that the patriotic citizen is not, any, it doesn't, it's not a function of how long somebody has been here. Uh, it truly isn't. Now, she makes it about that because she's trying to defend uh, concerns about Oz being a dual citizenship. So she uh, elevates legal immigrants above uh, Americans who are concerned about his loyalty. And I'm concerned about her policy. I'm concerned about her loyalty to the Constitution and the principles that America was founded on. Because we have a lot of people who culturally you know, come to this country, just like I was talking about Lena Hildalgo in, in Houston, they really don't have a commitment to the principles of America. They didn't grow up in this country uh, and with any respect or reverence or any kind of a cultural background uh, that um, uh, valued the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. As a matter of fact, they've come up through institutions that have been weaponized against the American culture, the American values, the American nation. And that's the issue that I have with it, not, not where somebody is from. Uh, his name is uh, Mehdi Hassan. Uh, so I'm not sure where he is from. Anyway, he says it's deeply dangerous for a news network to cover both sides of a story. Well, here's the first problem with what he has to say. He's offering you a false dichotomy on everything, right? I mean, there isn't, well, there's two sides to every issue. No, there isn't. Usually there's a lot more than two sides, a lot more than two sides to every issue. Uh, and the other thing that I think is interesting about this is the fact that this guy is so dogmatic about what he knows is true. This is typically coming from people on the left are typically postmodern in the sense that they don't believe that there is any such thing as absolute truth. They don't believe that the Constitution has absolute authority over what the government does. They don't believe that you know the Bible or God or anything is absolute truth. They don't even believe in science as being absolute truth. You don't validate uh, science. You just listen to the claims of the people in authority, and that's not what science is. And, and so it's kind of interesting that these um, people who don't believe in absolute truth are making these dogmatic pronouncements, isn't it? No, there is no such thing as two sides to every story. Well, what's truth? Well, I don't. There's no such thing as truth. The reason they say that is because they're authoritarians. And when you look at the people on the other side of it who believe that, as I do, that there is truth to be discovered about every one of these issues, and that's why I believe that they ought to be scrutinized and debated, because I think the truth exists as an objective thing out there that it needs to be sought for. And one of the ways that you seek it is by study and by debate and by other things. That puts me in that camp. And that's why you have, it seems like a contradiction, but that's why you have these dogmatic postmodernists who say, well, there is no such thing as, as truth. And that's my absolute truth. <laughs> that there is no such thing as truth. Uh, that's the, uh, the worldview from which he comes. So he says, yeah, there's a bunch of major issues on which there are not two sides. There's not two sides on climate change. Well, there absolutely is. What an absurd thing to say. Uh, there's two sides, and your side doesn't want to show the data that you use to make your pronouncements. That's your big problem. Just like your side 
doesn't want to show the data about your medical dictates either. You just want to have climate dictates and medical dictates, and we're not allowed to see your homework. You know, when I was in uh, college, I had a lot of professors who said, um, you show me your work on how you got that answer there, or you, you don't uh, get credit for it. Well, that's the way I feel about Michael Mann. That's the way I feel about Anthony Fauci. You show me your work, or I'm giving you an F. <laughs> an F for Fauci. An F for Fauci, yeah. Um, so the, uh, the same people who do this, as a matter of fact, uh, are also the same people who are engaging in all kinds of wild speculation about Trump, for example. Uh, Joanne Reed of MSNBC, same network, says there could be, this is a tweet from Tom Elliott, says there could be a connection between classified documents at Mar-a-Lago and CIA assets who were killed in 2021. They did happen at a time when Trump did have custody of some really sensitive information. So there you go. There's her conspiracy theory uh, based on coincidence uh, that uh, Trump conspired with foreigners to kill CIA people. And what is that based on? Well, he had some documents. We don't know what those documents were about. He had some documents and some CIA people died, so it's his fault. You see, that's their, these are the people who say there's not two sides to everything. Uh, Glenn Greenwald has um, outraged the, he was a reliable person on the left, and I always was concerned about him for that reason and, and other reasons. Uh, socially, we're not on the same page whatsoever. Uh, but, um, uh, politically, I was concerned about him. I had real concerns about uh, what was happening with the Snowden documents. They were being released very slowly. You could uh, make a case for it. I remember uh, at the time they came out, back in 2013, I was on air with Alex, and I said, well, I'm not really so sure about what's happening. It seems like a limited hangout to me because they're curating this. I said it could be that they're trying to milk it for um, – they're trying to milk it for audience and that type of thing. But after that, he had uh, Pierre Amidiar, um, a, a billionaire, uh, who was, I believe he was connected with PayPal. And, um, but he's, he's done a lot of stuff in uh, other countries that is uh, beyond reprehensible. Anyway, he created uh, The Intercept, and he put uh, Glenn Greenwald and a couple other people in charge there. And they purged Greenwald out. And at that point, uh, his... Um, his stock went way up with me. <laughs> and he actually mentions uh, Amidiar in this. Uh, and he's not doing it as a disgruntled employee. Uh, he knows what this is about, and he knows what censorship is about. And so he did a Twitter thread. He said, uh, the regime of censorship that's being imposed on the Internet is being done by a consortium of D.C. Democrats, billionaire-funded, quote, disinformation experts, unquote, the U.S. security state, and liberal employees of media corporations. It's dangerously intensifying in ways that I believe are not adequately understood. And so he's one of these people, uh, Matt Taibbi and others, uh, you know, who are real journalists who are, in my opinion, and focused on what is happening with this and have not been drawn in to this tribalism that most are drawn into. Uh, so they 
they jumped out, you know, they're out of their tribe and they're getting a lot of flack for that, actually. Uh, during the failed attempt, he says in January, to force Spotify to remove Joe Rogan. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's another thing. I mean, I, they pay him, what, you know, $25, $30 million a year. And um, uh, I, I, they won't even carry my program for free on Spotify. They're the only people who, who uh, purge my podcast. And I've been uh, pushed out by them three times. Once when I was at InfoWars, uh, then um, when I went on my own, I uh, set up a new podcast format, and they automatically pushed the stuff out. After a while, Spotify, short period of time, Spotify blocked it. Uh, and then I moved uh, things to another podcast platform, and um, they started, um, uh, they accepted it for a while. And I even got a call from somebody at Spotify who wanted me to monetize um, with ads there. I monetize with ads on Spreaker, by the way. Uh, so if you get the, the Spreaker version with the uh, ads in it, uh, that helps us uh, a lot uh, in terms of, uh, you know, revenue sharing with it. Uh, it's not a whole lot. I mean, it's, it, it's more if, if somebody, uh, you know, gives me um, uh, $5 a month, that is many times more than I would listen, than I would make if you listened to every single ad on every single podcast for a month. Uh, so it's not a lot, but um, uh, it's one way that people uh, don't have to pay anything, but they can still help me financially with that, but they won't even do that on Spotify. So as they were talking to me, uh, about possibly monetizing it, and I said, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm on there right now, but they've already kicked me off twice once on my own. And while we were talking about it, they kicked me off again. So I said, well, I guess not. So anyway, um, Glenn Greenwald says, I wrote that the current religion of Western liberals in politics and media is censorship. That's their religion. And it is the prime weapon of their activism. MFS Investment Management. Our active 360 approach to fixed income goes beyond analyzing financials. We combine active security selection and risk management, striving to make the most of complex bond markets. MFS.com slash active 360. Dutch Boy Platinum Plus. It's only paint. It's only paint that comes in an award-winning twist and pour container. It's only paint that will transform your den with just one coat of salted lavender into a writer's sanctuary. It's only paint that will help you become TV's hottest writer where you'll meet this guy. Hey. Who starred in that thing. Now that's a twist I didn't see coming. So yeah, it's only paint. Only easy opening, smooth pouring, change your life both professionally and romantically paint. Dutch Boy, only at Menards. And that's true. That's true. It is something of religion, but especially true that it is the prime weapon of their activism is censorship. But he says, you have to understand this is government censorship disguised as corporate autonomy. And I've been saying this since 2018. I'm glad to see him writing it out there. Uh, there's now an entire industry aligned with the Democrats to pressure big tech to censor. Think tanks, self-proclaimed disinformation experts, quote unquote, funded by Omidyar, Puts his, his former boss first. Omidyar, Soros, and the U.S.-U.K. security state. I call that the London-Langley axis. <laughs> uh, CIA, uh, um, MI6 or 5 or whichever one it is. Um, the worst, he says, the most vile arm of this regime are the censorship-mad liberal employees of big media corporations. 
Masquerading as journalists, they aligned themselves with the scummiest Democrat groups to silence people and to deplatform, like that guy we were just talking about there. You know, it isn't where he's from, it's what he says. It's disgusting. It is astonishing to watch Dems and their allies and media corporations posture as opponents of fascism, while their main goal, okay, we're against fascism, but our main goal is to unite state and corporate power. That is the textbook definition of fascism. And to censor their critics and to degrade the Internet into an increasingly repressive weapon of information control. Political censorship is not the byproduct of autonomous choices of big tech companies. This is happening because D.C. Democrats and the U.S. security state are threatening reprisals if they refuse, and they are explicit. And see, this is a problem I have when I talked yesterday about the fact that Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans are going to come up with what they call the commitment to America, uh, a, a set of issues, and he defined it, you know, um, in various ways. Uh, some of the issues that he mentioned, you know, he, he did refer briefly to, uh, they haven't published it yet. They're going to publish it in the next week or so. But one of the things that he referred to was to get rid of Section 230. That's not the problem. I said that yesterday, and I'll say it again. Uh, that's not the problem. If you are going to pretend that the problem is the big tech companies, and if you're going to pretend that this isn't coming from the government, and it's coming from people like Marco Rubio, who said, you're going to censor who we tell you to censor, right? Not who the Chinese tell you to censor. And the Democrats say, and you're going to tell us, you're, you're going to censor who we say, and not the Republicans, right? This is all coming from the government. And if they're not going to acknowledge that, if Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans are not going to acknowledge this, they're nothing more than controlled opposition. They're enabling this because they're pointing you in the wrong direction. They're feeding you the lie, as Glenn Greenwald puts it, that uh, these are autonomous choices of big tech companies and we're going to punish those big tech companies. I've seen that narrative from McCarthy. I've seen it from Rubio, who was actually out there, and I've seen it from DeSantis and others. That is not the problem. You're not going to solve the problem if you don't even know what the problem is. You're looking at some symptoms and you're giving people the wrong root of the problem. We need to have some radical change. And what radical change has to do, the very definition of the word radical, means that you're getting at the root. And we got to root this thing out. But we have to understand what the root is. We don't want to just cut the head off the weed. It's going to grow right back. So um, if you really believe that, um, that it is uh, autonomous choices of big tech companies, then um, <laughs> there's this commitment to America, well, you ought to be committed <laughs> to an insane asylum. Now, the EU now legally mandates censorship of Russian news. They've made it illegal for companies to air it in the EU. So many new tactics of censorship and repression have emerged in the West. Trudeau, freezing bank accounts of trucker protesters. Or PayPal, partnering with ADL to ban dissidents from the financial system. Uh, by the way, yeah, that's why they got me. Going back to April of 2020, the ADL was put it, pointing the finger at me and saying, look at this guy. Uh, you know, we had been... Uh, we were just past the two weeks to flatten the curve. But for those two weeks, I'd been saying this is medical martial law. 
They said, he's saying this is medical martial law. And so, you know, when PayPal partnered with ADL, guess what? PayPal, you know, kicked me out too. Because I was saying things like, uh, this is medical martial law. And it is still medical martial law. Uh, that was uh, nearly a thousand days ago I was saying that. Uh, big tech platforms are openly colluding in unison, in unison to deperson people from the internet. All of this stems from the classic mentality of all would-be tyrants. Uh, that uh, their enemies are so dangerous, their views are so threatening, that whatever we do, if we lie to you, it's 4D chess. If we censor things, it's 4D chess. If they do exactly the opposite of what they campaign to do, it's 4D chess. Remember that? Uh, that whole idea of 4D chess that Alex was selling people whenever Trump would betray his voters, betray his principles, betray the Constitution. That whole idea of 40 chess was nothing more than the Marxist goal of saying that the end justifies the means. No, if you use evil means, the, ends, the end will be evil. It's just that simple. He points to what Sam Harris recently said. I haven't talked about this. Sam Harris, a guy who previously has uh, risen to uh, celebrity status, by railing against God. He's a, uh, a professional atheist. And Sam Harris, the atheist, uh, who has <laughs> no ethics, surprise, surprise. And I'm not saying that an, uh, that an atheist can't have ethics. They can't. Uh, but ultimately, uh, their ethics are going to be malleable because there is no fixed point and there is no accountability in their mind. And so they're going to um, essentially drift, in my opinion. Uh, I've seen it happen too many times. But Sam Harris, here's where Sam Harris is now. Sam Harris went on. I haven't played the clip for you. But, um, you know, he made that statement. He said uh, to some people, he said, you know, we got to get Trump. And that's the key thing. And he says all this stuff about the Hunter Biden laptop. I couldn't care less if he had been caught with children's bodies in the basement. Ooh, you don't care what he does. He could even murder kids. You don't care. Well, because, I mean, they've supported abortion, right? So why wouldn't he have baby bodies in the basement? Uh, but he goes on to say, and I, I don't really care if he gave kickbacks to Joe Biden. Trump is so bad, we've got to stop him. Stop and think about that. Stop and think about it. We've heard all of that stuff. You know, we're, Well, I don't really care uh, if, if uh, Trump pushes torture. I don't really care if he did something straight out of Pixar's Up, uh, taking the property of a widow, a poor widow, because he wanted to build a parking lot for his casino and that he used the eminent domain of the local government where he had a lot of power and influence because of his money to do that because she wouldn't sell out to him. Yeah, I did videos about that. And everybody was saying, well, you, you, you mean you want to have Hillary? It's like, no, but I think we need to understand who this guy is. And I was especially doing videos like that when we had other choices. And uh, so I talked about his lack of character in terms of his oath to his former wives uh, or what he did to, you know, widows and um, his cheerleading of torture and the rest of the stuff. But I said, you know, once we got down to two people, I said, well, okay, you know, uh, we don't really know where he is. You know, he might do some good things. 
And uh, as Julian Assange said, we don't know what Trump is, but um, we do know that Hillary is a criminal and a warmonger. And now we know that Trump is a criminal. <laughs> and we know that Trump is a traitor. And, uh, you know, he's trying to kill or standing by and holding the coat of the people and giving them paychecks, the people who are trying to kill Julian Assange. People like Mike Pompeo and others who want to kill Julian Assange. He's fine with that. And, um, and he's fine killing America and killing the Constitution. So, you know, that's what happens when you uh, look at something and say, well, you know, yeah, he ain't perfect, but, you know, um, yeah. Well, character flaws are a key issue, key issue. Problem was there weren't any third-party candidates either. But the real issue is that we're not going to win or lose this thing because of the White House. We're going to win or lose this thing because of God. And we need to be on God's side, not on Trump's side. And the way that we're going to work this out, because there are things that we need to do, the important thing for us to do is to do what we can do. And there are things that we can do. That has to be done locally in community. And a big part of that community is going to be the community that is also focused on God in your area, the church. Um, so how come not one media outlet, says Greenwald, uh, that spread the CIA lie, uh, the Hunter Biden archive was Russian disinformation. How come not one of those has retracted or apologized? Well, I would say, and, and you know, why haven't these conservative people, that, that's true, it's true about that. They should. And, and we haven't seen really an apology. We've seen some spin from people who are trying to jump off the Trump ship, but not really an apology. You know, they're not really saying, you know, um, we lied about that warp speed thing. Uh, we covered up Trump's pushing of mandates for MMR. We covered up his gun control by executive order, his gun control by saying, take the gun and do the due process letter. We told you that it was 40 chess, but uh, I still love that guy. Still love that guy. I still want him as, back as president, and I'm going to give him some more time to come around. That's what we hear. That's what we hear. Above all, says uh, Glenn Greenwald, stay focused on who your real enemies are. They're not your neighbors. They're not your neighbors who have been deceived into supporting the wrong party or the wrong ideology. They are the victims of repression, which is all about maintaining a closed system of propaganda that can't be challenged. It is we the people against they the governments, against they the corporations. And we also have to understand, as Christians, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, uh, that these people are, as he's pointing out, just in the political realm, deceived. They are victims. Uh, we are wrestling against authorities and powers and uh, narratives that control minds and real spiritual beings. That's where you get this generational uh, conspiracy that goes on and on. And to give you an idea of where we are right now, before <laughs> we get to our break, uh, Biden has a new monkeypox official. Now, um, this is uh, what he looks like. <laughs> Perfect, isn't it? Uh, that's his new monkeypox uh, official. Uh, this is what he looks like when he gets cleaned up. 
and uh, when he was talking about uh, at, at the White House. Uh, but you know, this is this is the real guy, the real deal, and uh, so is this, and so is this. Mm, yeah, that's right. Um, right there, there you go. Uh, the mesh shirt and the um, you know the hot pants and the rest of this stuff. Uh, that's the guy right there. Um, so uh, I guess we could say you know this is almost like the Babylon Bee. But I think I know what the B stands for now. I think it stands for Biden. <laughs> the Babylon Biden. Uh, those various pictures there. This guy's name is Dimitri Daskalakis. I think if I pronounce his last name correctly, but he, his first name is Dimitri. Uh, he is now the White House Deputy Coordinator for Combating Monkeypox. And he appears to be eminently qualified to do that. He may have had some encounters with it, close encounters with it himself. Uh, he says in speaking about this, that it transmits through very close skin to skin physical contact, often in the setting of sexual exposure, but there are other mechanisms for its transmission, including touching objects of individuals or respiratory droplets. I don't think so. I, I don't think that is the case. As a matter of fact, uh, here's another, that's him on the right there in the uh, green goblin outfit, um, uh, with the, uh, you know, the interesting uh, stuff on his bicycle there. And uh, we also have uh, members, we talk about the Babylon Biden administration. Uh, this is another Babylon Biden administration guy. Uh, this is the one, uh, Sam Britton, who was uh, put in charge of toxic waste. Well, he looks like toxic waste. <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, he is actually toxic waste. Um, rentboy.com. Uh, he was defending that. Uh, he is someone who has also been involved in the Trevor Project, which focuses on gender-gaslighted teens that he can groom and people there in that organization can groom. The Trevor Project, focusing on vulnerable, confused young minors. And then he spoke out in defense of RentBoy, RentBoy.com. He says, they may or may not have broken the law. I don't know. But I do know from the frantic emails filling my inbox that the raid on its headquarters has thrown many gay, bisexual, and transgender young adults into turmoil as their main source of income has been ripped away due to irresponsible and archaic views of sex work. Okay, sex work. Uh, we're talking about prostitution. And we're talking about money. That's their main source of income. So he's talking about Rent Boy being um, uh, homosexual minors engaged in prostitution. Which again, we, Trevor, that's why he hangs out the Trevor. These are the people in the Biden administration, the Babylon Bidens. Uh, and one person commented about that guy, Demetrius. Said, go back in time <laughs> and try to explain this to somebody from 2005. How do you explain what's going on and how we got here? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's how we got here. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Talk about MFS Investment Management. Our active 360 approach to fixed income goes beyond analyzing financials. We combine active security selection and risk management, striving to make the most of complex bond markets. MFS.com slash active 360. Everyone says time is money. But when you're a pro, it literally is. 
Every hour you spend away from the job means more money you're spending out of pocket. That's why Valspar and Lowe's are here to help with free job site delivery. Save time on your next job and get your paint delivered directly to you, totally free of charge. Made for more. Valspar. Contact your Valspar rep, a Lowe's pro, or visit valspar.com slash delivery for details or to find a rep near you. Select stores apply, 24-gallon minimum. Other restrictions apply, subject to availability. Pharmakia talk about uh, World War III and uh, other issues, so stay with us. We will be right back. Show. All right, and joining us now is Gerald Salenti uh, at uh, trendsresearch.com. That's where you'll find Trends Journal. Excellent publication. Uh, about, uh, I don't know, two, three hundred pages a week, isn't it, Gerald, that you've got there? And it's in a, a book format that you can view on the internet. But a wealth of information published weekly, Trends Journal. You can see a sample of it at trendsresearch.com. Thank you for joining us, Gerald. How are you doing? I'm doing all right considering how messed up the world is. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it is a mess, isn't it? Uh, how do you like that? Uh, how do you like the new monkeypox coordinator? He looks like he could coordinate a lot of monkeypox, doesn't he? It's a freak show. <laughs> it is. And we have freaks, we have freaks running and ruining our lives. Yeah. And, and, you know, this whole thing, you know, you know, all the news, I mean, there's only one thing we should be talking about. Mm-hmm. The, the death of the queen. The queen. Yeah. The queen bee died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, when you, my mother and father died, you know, they, they don't count. That's right. May they rest in peace. And all the people I love that have passed away, they mean nothing. That's right. The queen is dead. That's right. Hey, oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, she, she should have never died. She's a queen. She <laughs> only lived to, what, 96 years old. The average death rate in America, I think, is like 78 years old. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know what she didn't die of? COVID. <laughs> the most her deadly pandemic. Of COVID. What's that? The, the, her old man died of COVID. Yeah. Well, you they, know. And then they shot him up and he died right after it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he died of the shot. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's what he died of. Uh, yeah, it is kind of interesting. I, I talked earlier about uh, Prince Charles because I think he is a real dangerous globalist in terms of his environmental fantasies. And boy, he's got some wacko ideas, but he's another one of these guys like Klaus Schwab. Uh, so th- that's what I was concerned about. Well, let's, let's put this into context. The queen is dead. All the news, all the news. What the hell does it affect me one bit? that the queen is dead. That's right. It didn't affect me when she was alive, but here's why they do it. And this is very important. They elevate the people above us. Yes. So she's at the top, and then the next level are the presidents, Mm -hmm. the prime ministers, 
the chancellors. When all these little scumbags come out, they roll out a red carpet, and all the little boys get dressed up in their military drag and salute. They are the dignitaries. They are a bus above us, plantation workers of Slavelandia. That's right. We mean nothing. That's the importance of this. The importance is that they elevate these people above us so we follow their orders. And now you're talking about the little Charlie boy, a little nothing of a nobody. Look at the murderous track record of Great Britain. Hey, all you people over there in India, you love the centuries that they conquered you and stole everything from your country and killed all you people. Oh, you love all, oh, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Yeah, you mean you're colonized? What? Isn't that another crappy word? Colonized. What colonized? You took over these countries, murdered people, and stole every damn thing you wanted to get. And what is she worth? About $40 billion. Yeah, that's right. And I got to feel bad that she died? What the hell does it mean to me? Yeah, I see all these uh, uh, these um, eulogies of her talking oh. about how she was always about service. And I, I said to my wife, I said to Karen, uh, so I didn't realize she's like Mother Teresa or something, <laughs> working in the poor slums to help people. I mean, she's 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 a multi billionaire. Uh, she's not Mother Teresa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, the, it, it's like how the people look up to Winston Churchill. What a murderous little slob. Yeah, look what he did to Iran. He was the guy that over him and the CIA overthrew Mossadegh in 1953 because we need their oil and they have no right to nationalize it. Oh, yeah, what he did in all those other countries, the people that that clown killed. Again, they elevate these people so we look up to them. How can anybody with a brain bigger than a pea look up to a Biden or Trump? A little arrogant Gavin Newsom, a witless Whitney, a divine in Ohio, I'm the, I'm the governor. Yeah, a little Hokelberry we got in New York. Oh, by the way, she mandated that we don't have to wear masks on mass transit. I, the governor, <laughs> hey, you didn't get elected. I and mean, who the hell are you to tell me what to do? Yeah, I'm right. the governor. I'm the senator. I'm the congressman. I'm the president. I'm the prince. Yeah, that's right. And uh, they're going to tell us uh, everything that we need to do because we have to save the planet. You know, I was talking earlier about how uh, Charles's new project is the Earth Charter. He calls it the, uh, uh, the Terra Carta and, you know, like the uh, Magna Carta. Uh, but, of course, this is not about the rights of humans. This is about the rights of the planet and how we are going to s subordinate humans to the planet. But, of course, you know, who will be acting on behalf of the planet? Well, he's appointed himself uh, as the advocate for the planet. So the planet will have privileges and rights, but we won't. Uh, that's bottom line for all of this. It's absolutely the, – the guy is off the rails, but he is – perfectly 
situated with the, the, the current um, uh, plot to try to, the excuse to try to take everything from us. It's the club. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. one big club and you ain't in it, George Collins said. Yeah. That's all it is. That's right. It's an arrogant club. That's right. Yeah, this is his club right there, the Earth League. Um, <laughs> it's like the League of Unextraordinary Non-Gentlemen is what I would call that thing. Uh, that's what, um, that's what Again, he put up there. Yeah. The, 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 the chick that was married to him couldn't stand the princess die. Remember? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah when they, when they killed her too. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is pretty interesting, but you know, the, um, Oh, by the way, I don't want to interrupt you, yeah. but talking about princess die, she had a 1994 Audi Cabriolet. British racing green. Hmm. I got the same exact car. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. But uh, maybe they'll try to kill me too, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, just don't crash it in a, um, in a tunnel. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the important thing. So. He, had a, he drank too much and he got in an accident. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, it is, uh, it is interesting to me to see and, and, and how it has sucked up uh, all of the all the news everywhere. Uh, pretty much, yeah. it's all about. Who gives a damn? Yeah. How does that affect me? Yeah. What does it do to my life? And that's, by the way, that's what the Trends Journal is. This is if you, if you listen to the news, keep listening to it and get dumber and dumber and dumber, because that's all they do is they sell fear, hysteria, hate, and 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 comic clown crap. And yep. what we do is we give people what they need to know, what they need to do, and, and how to do it. You know, there's no magazine like it. And I'm not saying it because it's my magazine. I'm saying it beyond the publisher. But it's because we're giving every people the things that they, they need. Like, it, like for weeks. You know, yeah, they, it's terrible that they, this woman that was jogging down in Tennessee, wherever it was, Mrs. Yeah, I don't know. That's right. But I, I got to hear about that. How many people are killed every day? Yeah. Yeah. I got to hear this day after. Oh, well, she was an heiress to a billionaire. That makes a difference. That's right. That yeah. makes a difference. Well, and I think what we're seeing now after this other shooting, this guy uh, immediately following that, this guy does a, a Facebook shooting down there. What we're seeing is the collapse of our society. Right and in front of our eyes. Right, right there. And that, I think, is the real story. You know, the, the way the society story. is just coming unglued, as you've talked about many times, when everybody loses it. Uh, loses everything, they they lose it. But this is a a loss of any morality, any ethics, any restrictions on people. This is a a product of our society, of our schools especially, and our entertainment culture uh, that is responsible for these types of things. I agree a hundred percent. And there's another thing, and this this people hate to hear this. Once upon a time, there were hunters and gatherers. In other words, the men went out and worked and the women raised the family. Mm -hmm. Now they have a child within a couple of weeks, several weeks, boom, the kid is in a daycare center. Oh, yeah. That's right. Oh, I'm not, I'm only me because my mother, may she rest in peace, was home all the time. And when we came home from school, you know, make sure you're home at six o'clock because that's when we all sat down and ate. That's right. So she's cooking all day long. She's taking care of the house. She's cleaning it. 
She's raising the children. Children now, they're thrown in a, in a daycare, mm-hmm. lowest paid people with a whole bunch of other kids, feeding them crap. Then the mother comes home from work. She gets home, what, 6.30, 6 o'clock, let's say? Yeah. And what is she giving the kid? Fast Prepared food. food. Yeah, exactly. Mostly ultra-processed. Over 60% of Americans are eating ultra-processed food. So now the mother isn't taking care of the kid. A stranger is with a whole bunch of other kids. They're not feeding the child properly. They're feeding him a lot of garbage crap. The kid has mental problems because he's with a stranger rather than the mother raising him. Yes. I wouldn't be me. Every day I had the pictures of my family on the wall over here, and I thank them every day. Yes. I thank my, my grandparents. My, I have a picture of my great-grandmother. May they all rest in peace, my aunts and uncles. I'm only me because of where I came from and what they did to teach me and raise me. And now kids aren't being raised by their parents. They're being raised by strangers. And any little problem that they have, boom, they shoot them up with drugs. That's, boom. that's right. They, they, they make up this crap. I ran away from kindergarten at four and a half years old. I crossed the Boston Post Road in the Bronx. That was the major artery in the day before the highways between New York and Boston. If I was now, it would have had me shot up with drugs. That's right. Instead, what they did was they took me out because they know that they couldn't control me and I'd be dead. So I didn't go to, go to kindergarten. <laughs> I was too young. I was only like four and a half years old. And I loved being with my mother and, and my aunt Cookie and all the other ones. And I didn't want to go. To, I didn't want to. I hated kindergarten. I hated every day of school. But anyway, they would have me shot up with drugs. So when you're looking at the decline of society, you can look at it when mothers, to me, stopped raising their children and they turned them over to strangers that get paid nothing along with a whole bunch of other kids. Oh, I agree. I agree. And that's been the plan for the longest time. And they know this. It's, it's kind of a, you go all the way back to Plato's Republic. And his goal was to make sure that the kids didn't even know who their parents were. Uh, their family was going to be the state. Uh, they were going to have their relationship. If they had any relationship, it was going to be to the state. Today, they don't even care about that. They just have these people as, uh, you know, uh, free agents, you know, and, and have them drugged up, have them living in a virtual world of, of entertainment and other things like that. But you're absolutely right, Gerald. Um, you know, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. So they, they want to make sure they take that hand away and that hand is their hand. And so they keep putting out these uh, programs at an earlier and earlier age, you know, raising the taxes so people feel a pressure that both parents need to work, uh, destroying the family in terms of uh, telling everybody, no, you don't want to be married, and, and um, creating that kind of societal division that's there. Uh, in the past, we would have them say that, uh, you know, you would see all the time in the Bible, you would see uh, that there's going to be restoration when the hearts of the fathers are turned toward the kids because the fathers were outside oriented outside of the family. The mother was the core. And so it was, it was understood that the mother was going to be the core of the family and that, uh, you know, she was going to be taking care of the kids. But it was things were going to improve when you had two parents who were oriented towards the kids and thinking about their future. Now we have no parents who are oriented towards the kids in the way that uh, they should be because they're too stressed in terms of time and, and too 
uh, divided and, and what they have to do. And, and that is by design, I think. Yeah, it's demonic. It's, yeah. To me, yeah, it's been going on in a lot of different ways. And what do you say? The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's brilliant. I, I'm going to use that. In, in well, that's not mine. That's a very, <laughs> that's a very well, old not, one. But yeah, I didn't come up with that. But it's true. It is true. You know, there was yeah. a lot of power in that. There was a lot of honor in that position. And people used to understand that. But they have denigrated the position and the function of the mother, just as they have denigrated the function of the family. They don't even want to hear what the parents have to say about their kids in school. They want you to abandon your kids to the school. They even talk about that in legal cases, you know, uh, in loco parentis, we will operate in place of the parents. And that's really what this is about. And people don't realize the full implications of this. And they don't realize how this is going to play out in their own particular family. Uh, let alone for what's happening with society, but it's a breakdown of the family uh, that is at, at the center of all this. And that's really what we're seeing in Memphis, the breakdown of society. And it's been deliberate. It really has. Well, again, you know, it's, it's uh, look at the people. You know, I, I was up in Saratoga. That was one of the first racetracks here in America mm -hmm. this past weekend. And um, for the races, a friend uh, invited me up. And the last time I was there about 20 years ago, it was heartbreaking to see the way that people were dressed and what they looked like. And um, it, 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 once upon a time, everybody was dressed sharply. And mm -hmm. now, you know, everybody looks the same. Guys wearing short pants, shirts, you know, a pullover shirt, like a T-shirt, and, 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 and 100 pounds overweight. You know, they used to have this great Fats Domino song. They called me, they called me the fat man. Because I weigh two hundred pounds, <laughs> two hundred pounds now is like hey, you're in good shape, you know. Yeah, yeah, we aspire to that. <laughs> and, and and so when I look <clears throat> at society, when you again you look at the music of the past, you know Duke Ellington, Count Basie, you know you look at the dignity, and the Black Cats were leading the charge, you know, with the music and the style, mm -hmm. you know, they were the head of it. And now it's one bad rap. And, and, uh, and again, you know, so it, it's just so sad. It breaks my heart to see how this country has, uh, from the land of opportunity to the land of slave landia. Yeah. You know, again, you know, all the, you know, the big news, again, on the Cartoon News Network and on and on, about how wonderful Dollar Tree is doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dollar General. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's what they uh, they want to take us down to. It, it truly is amazing. You know, for years ago, uh, we adopted my daughter from China. Uh, people who had uh, been there the previous 10 years, uh, they had seen a, a very rapid change. It used to be in China when they were poor, living under the more authoritarian. Um, of course, it still is authoritarian, and they still are poor, relatively. But they as they started having some upward mobility, uh, and it was big upward mobility for them, uh, they went from a situation where they were all dressing in pajamas as peasants and the kids were typically not wearing pants, uh, you know, because it was just uh, easier to uh, uh, not bother with diapers or anything else like that. And then they would start dressing uh, Western. And, and, and we were going in the opposite direction, right? We're, we're dressing down. And so uh, yep. that is the, that is the, the uh, trend. I guess that uh, we have um, a, a common 
uh, serfdom worldwide. You know, they only let the, the Chinese people get up to a certain level, but then they bring us down to that level. That's the leveling. That's what the founders always called socialism. That idea has been around a very long time. Uh, just a leveling of society to the lowest common denominator. You know, uh, uh, again, it's heartbreaking to me, but I'm, I'm doing everything I can, and you are too, and everybody out there must as well. If we don't unite, we're finished. And, and any imbecile thinks that, oh, what will happen with the midterm elections? Oh, you're going to put one crime syndicate in and, and for the other? You yeah. know, the Bloods of the Crips, which is your favorite one? Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, come on. I mean, I think you're Republicans, repulsiveness. Yeah. You know, look like moron, imbeciles. How could you look look up to a, a little Lindsey Graham or an Adver's mind Mitch McConnell? I mean, or a little Chucky Schumer. And that's the other thing. We should have term limits. This is a lot of crap. These little slime balls never work a day in their lives. All they do is been, you know, sucking off the public tit their whole lives. I agree. Yeah, we go back. They, they, they want to uh, imitate uh, uh, Gingrich's contract with America, right? You remember that? And, and it had 10 things. And, of course, the one thing that they didn't even try to do was uh, term limits after they got elected. No, 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 we're not going to do term limits. They don't care about yeah. that at all. And of course, when you look at all the belly aching that's going on about the student loan debacle that, you know, where Biden just created by executive order and fiat didn't, they didn't even vote on this. Well, I'm just going to forgive uh, student loans. He just does it with an executive order. That's all based, Gerald, on Trump's executive order. That is 909 days old today, uh, going back to March 13th, 2020, that we've talked about before, the Friday the 13th. That yep. is the foundation for the student loans. And so these people will talk about, well, you know, we need to do something about that, but they won't talk about the foundation for it. Uh, they're not going to change anything. These Republicans aren't. No. No. Again, but again, look, look at the, you're talking about executive order. How about, how about what, what's your favorite war? Yeah, the Vietnam War. Now, you probably like the Korean War. I like the Afghan War. Give me the Iraq War. Yeah, but all Congress is supposed to vote on every war. They haven't voted. Executive order. What exact? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Going back to the Queen. That's right. How they elevate these little clowns and people look up to these little jerks. That's right. That's They're right. nobodies. They're nobodies. They're better than you or me or anybody listening. Who the hell do they think they are? Oh, by the way, we don't pee and we don't poo. You know, we, don't, we don't like you. We never, we're, we're perfect. Every day in our life is perfect. That's right. Well, if they do, they got a groomer of the stool that's going to go around and grab it, just like they go, <laughs> go around and grab it for George Bush or for Vladimir Putin, right? Yep. Uh, here's something that, that kind of uh, combines a couple of different threads that you've been talking about over a while. Besides... Uh, the military industrial complex and war. We've talked about how China has really set up, uh, uh, you know, maneuvered themselves to have control over rare earth minerals. And here we have this absurdly expensive plane, the F 35, and they have stopped delivery of these. They've gotten about 58% of them delivered. According to the contract, they stopped delivery because they discovered that it's got a magnet that is using, um, rare earth materi materials that China controls a source of, and that's a big no-no. Can't have it. But Gerald, it's got 920 pounds of rare earth minerals in it, not just this one magnet that they're talking about. And then there's a chart showing the Arleigh Burke uh, class of, um, I think it's destroyers, 5,200 pounds of rare earth 
in it. A Virginia-class submarine has 9,200 pounds of rare earth. They've got us over a barrel, don't they? Uh, it's a joke. I mean, look, look yeah. at the crap that the, 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 the military-industrial complex builds. These F-35s have been a joke from the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah it's not just, they rarely, rarely work, right? Uh, the the yeah. guns don't work right and the rest of the stuff, yeah. And look at these stupid ships that they keep decommissioning that they build. Yeah. It, it's, it's, look at the clown that's our defense secretary. Oh, yeah. Where does he come from? Lloyd Austin. He came from the board of directors of Raytheon, the second largest defense contractor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, here's, this is what we need. In the new, the new world order of America, we need a new third party, term limits, no outside funding for campaigns, give everybody an equal shot, because the billionaires are controlling the whole thing. A heavy tax on the billionaires, like they had under during the Eisenhower administration. We didn't have billionaires back then. You had multimillionaires, and. And foreign entanglements. Close all the bases overseas. What do you yes. have? 800 of them? Yes. Yeah. Bring home the troops and secure the homeland. Oh, uh, how many? Uh, uh, is something like over a million immigrants came in this year or something? Uh, some ridiculous number? Yeah, they've got ladder crews, uh, Gerald. <laughs> they got ladder crews that are coming at night. They put the ladder on the wall and climb over. Who saw that coming? <laughs> Right. The the wall was going to save us all from everything. I, I I thought that was a joke from the very beginning. Of course, they didn't build it, uh, no. but, uh, you know, couldn't even Trump do that. But Trump uh, didn't do a damn thing he promised. No, no. The only thing Trump did was lower the taxes for the rich. Yeah. His tax deal, according to the Tax Policy Center, the 1% got 82% of all the value of it. Mm -hmm. He was going to rebuild the infrastructure, build the wall. He's just a crappy. Again, it's a reality. He, uh, I I have the trademark presidential reality show. <laughs> and that's yeah. all it is around the world. What was Ronald Reagan? Yeah. A comedian, an actor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What was what the little clown that got that arrogant guy, Schwarzenegger? <laughs> I can lift weights. I could take a lot of drugs to build my body. I could look really strong. Yeah. And I will become the governor of California. And you get that vaccination because I get vaccinated all the time to make myself look big. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Look at what, oh, look at the jerk they got over there in Ukraine that everybody bows down to. The guy played a comedian banging his penis on a piano playing the, in a sitcom that he was the president of, of Ukraine. Yep. You can't make this crap up. Yeah. And when you talk about crap, what was the first thing the crap heads did when they started the COVID war? They went out and bought toilet paper. <laughs> That's right. I'm yeah. not making this up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's People what it, fighting it, over rolls of toilet paper. That's uh, that's an excrement hits the fan scenario right there. <laughs> They knew it was going to hit the fan, so let's go get some toilet paper to clean up. Oh, yeah, there's no other way to clean yourself other than with toilet paper. I think the uh, Aborigines were using toilet paper. <laughs> oh, that's that's true. Yeah, the um, 
Well, you know, meanwhile, uh, Gerald, as you've been saying for quite some time, World War III has already started. Uh, it's now come out that uh, as, as Musk is, uh, the communication is going back and forth, uh, talking to other people about the acquisition of Twitter. And he says, you know, we might want to wait on that a little bit uh, because I don't really want to care if I've got this if World War III is going to break out. Uh, that's kind of an interesting insight from uh, Elon Musk, don't you think? Uh, yeah. On the same page. You know, that's the other thing. If these guys say it, then it means something. That's right. Just, what the hell? What do you, well, if Musk says it, you know, Musk, it must be true. <laughs> that's right. And yeah. then it's the other thing. Where are these billionaires? Not a penny from the billionaires to peace. Nothing. Yeah, Nothing. That's right. Nothing. Well, I imagine. And everybody, please stand to support us with OccupyPeace.com. You know, I'm putting my your, your money where you, our mouth is. Yeah. You know, that you, you saw, you were here for the rallies. You see the kind of money we're putting into making these things happen. That's right. They're first rate across the board. That's right. That's right. And, yeah, and, I think... and, and look, look at if I had a rally to support the Ukraine war, oh boy, all the media would have covered it. Yeah. But I had them for peace, you get nothing. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they're, uh, they, they've got people who are spending thousands of dollars to get slogans and taunts put on missiles that are going to be launched by the Ukrainians against the Russians. Those are Americans who are paying that kind of money. Uh, but no money to support peace. You know, they'll, no. they'll, put, they'll put their uh, name or their taunt or some obscene uh, picture or something on, on, a, on a missile and pay thousands of dollars to do that. There was an article a couple of weeks ago about that. Uh, but not a penny to support peace. And I think no. the key thing about Elon Musk is not just that, well, okay, uh, he now says we're going to go into World War III. He's so tied in with a military-industrial complex oh. that, you know, these guys are openly telling him about this kind of stuff. And so it's like, yeah, we keep hearing this from everybody. Uh, it's kind of common knowledge, but nobody really wants to confront this, and nobody wants to confront these people, these elitists who are pushing us into this. You know, they, they want to go along with it. They're, they're caught up in the, in the war fever themselves instead of pushing back against it. It's been going on forever. Yeah. I'm a Yankee doodle dandy, Yankee doodle do or die. Yeah, that's right. Real love of, of Uncle Sam, born <laughs> on the 4th of July. Yeah. yeah. And Woodrow Wilson, could you get a slimier, murderous, low-life piece of scum crap than him? Yeah. You know, gave us World War One, gave us federal income tax, gave us the Federal Reserve. That's right. Again, yeah. as I say, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, bullets, bombs, and banks. Look at that little arrogant boy blinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at him. Another well, two, another two billion to dollars. Another two billion dollars to uh, Zelensky this week as a surprise visit. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise no surprise. <laughs> yeah. Senators press Biden on tracking U.S. aid tied to harming civilians in Yemen. Yeah. Yeah, Blinken was the clown boy under the Nobel Peace of Crap Prize winner, Barack Obama, that launched the Saudi war against Yemen back in 2015. And Blinken went over there to give them, quote, intelligence. We spent billions and billions and tens of billions of dollars to slaughter people in Yemen. Yes. Brought to you by the United States. Nothing about the worst humanitarian crisis on earth. Oh, but a Ukrainian was killed and her daughter. 
you know, oh, that's a big deal. But yeah, I mean, you, know, you, you got to blow them away. Well, how about Ethiopia? Lovely what's going on. What's in Ethiopia? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a place in Africa. Well, well, well. yeah, hey, how about those Yankees, huh? You know, they think the Mets need a better second base. You know, I mean, that's the mentality of America. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and when we see what is happening, a lot of people looking... Um at the world of weights, getting the heavy stuff to gym owners across the world is an easy lift because they've got Salesforce Customer 360, the number one CRM. It unites their teams around all their customers so marketing can predict what each gym needs. Ooh, the deluxe dumbbells. Sales can get the orders out. And overnight? Wow. And every employee can smash their numbers this quarter. See how uniting your teams can help you wow customers at salesforce.com slash customer 360. If you walk down the block, you'll find amazing things to do at your local croc. You can walk the track, hit pickleball, Zumba when the rhythm calls, take music lessons, or go for a swim, all after you hit the gym. Click on the link and see what you think. Then take a walk to your local croc. Or military guy has got a site, a moon of Alabama. Uh, he's yeah. looking at this and he says, uh, when you, they, uh, you actually had the Washington Post get in and interview some of the Ukrainian troops in the hospital. And they said, there's absolutely, we're getting slaughtered out there. There's absolutely no way that um, they're going to win in this counteroffensive. But they just keep adding more and more weapons into the mix. That's why you got this surprise visit from Blinken. And, of course, you know, another $2, trillion, $2 billion, who cares? Uh, there's no controls, no fiscal controls, no legal controls on any of the stuff. These people are just acting as independent dictators. But it is mass suicide. It's suicide of Ukraine. It is suicide of Europe. And then in the bigger picture, you bring in World War III, which is global suicide. Yep. Again, you look at the cover of our Trends Journal two days before Russia invaded Ukraine. COVID war, Ukraine war, world war. Yeah, that's right. And that's where we're at. Right. And that, you know, on the COVID front, by the way, we're going to be putting out an article. All the stuff that you read now, they blame on, they refer back to the pandemic, caused by the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Not caused by the pandemic, caused by low-life pieces of scum crap politicians. Close down your business. That's right. You're going to close down your restaurant. You can't sit at the bar. Stand six feet apart. That's right. They're closing down your schools. No, the pandemic didn't do it. Politicians did it. But the importance of this, David, is how they rewrite history. Yes. And they're so doing it now. People are going to look back and say, oh, this happened because of the pandemic. Yeah. Not because of the clowns, the arrogant little Andy Cuomo's, the arrogant Gavin Newsom's, the analyst witness Whitney's, not because of them, because of the slime balls over in Italy, the first ones to close down following the Chinese way. Not because of them, because of the pandemic. That's right. Oh, and that's the other thing. How many people do you know personally that died of COVID? I don't know anybody who died of COVID. I don't either. I don't even know anybody that they claim that died with a COVID test. I don't know anybody that uh, all right. died with And that's the thing. Yeah. If it was a pandemic, we would all know several people that died from this thing. That's right. And that's everybody right. I ask, this is what I get. Well, I don't know anybody, but my friend's friend, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
or yeah, I know somebody, or what were their conditions? Well, you know, he had, he had cancer or, you know, he was obese. Mm -hmm. Again, six, one to 17 year olds in the United States, there are about 72 billion, million, 72 million, one to 17 year olds. In two years, according to the CDC, 693 died. Yeah, that's right. So you're telling me 693 people died out of 72 million? Get the hell out of here. Well, don't you care? Hey, hey, don't be. That's no number at all. People die of everything every day. Oh, according to the CDC, 61% were obese. Yeah, that's right. And that's America. It doesn't oh. matter how few the number of people died from COVID based on demographic. They played that out the wazoo. And then when you start showing people dropping dead from the vaccine and you say, well, look, uh, this is happening. We had the spike as the vaccination start. And then five months after that, we have an even bigger spike. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, there's nothing to see there. It's just rare. Anytime any of that stuff happens, it's just rare. But it wasn't rare when you had fewer people dying uh, during the so-called COVID pandemic. Then died. Uh, you have more people dying after the vaccines roll out, but yep. you know one of them is rare, and the other one, and we don't even need to look at it. But the other one, we're going to shut down the entire world in a way that's never been done before. Yeah, it's pretty clear. I think what's happening right now, Gerald, is uh, there is a positioning. I think ultimately they're going to have to take us to a world war. Uh, they're going to have to create all of these, uh, uh, you know, the, the austerity and the rest of the stuff with uh, destroying our energy supplies or food supplies and that type of thing because people are starting to wake up. They can't hide the bodies. And so now they're starting to jostle around, trying to distance themselves from Trump if they're conservatives. If they're liberals, you see a lot of liberals now. Uh, the Democrats who are trashing all this stuff when Trump was rushing it. You don't want to take that stuff. Uh, it hasn't been tested, and it's from Trump. And then they jumped on it, and they mandated it. And now even though you got a group of them saying, well, th this, this is you know because Trump rushed it, some of them are starting to say that now, but they're still trying to mandate it. You still have the Biden administration still trying to push this through with the— um, with the military, you have other jurisdictions that are trying to push it through uh, in the schools, even in Washington, D.C. You know, they, the unions back them off, but this, they're trying to push on the school kids in Washington, D.C., the vaccine. Again, for people that want a religious exemption, go to freedompeacejustice.com, freedompeacejustice.com. And we provide, they've been 99.9%, 99.99% that's good. Uh, for getting religious vaccine exemptions, yes. And we've we've got the best of the best writing that wrote this and, and put all the facts in there. That's good. And then going back to the vaccine, let's go. Number one, you, you mentioned about the Biden administration. Again, we wrote about this in the Trends Journal. Going back when Trump was pushing it, Kamala Harris, Biden, they all said, why would you get this thing? It's being rushed through. Clown Cuomo shooting his fat mouth off too. I wouldn't trust anything under the... Trump administration coming out with a vaccine. Yeah. And then after Trump <laughs> lost, they all promoted the vaccine. Yeah. Number yeah. two, Pfizer gave Trump, uh, Biden, a million dollars, the maximum that they could have given him in his inauguration. Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, it, it is pretty clear, I think, to a lot of people. And uh, if it wasn't for this war thing, I would look at it as... Um, 
overall a positive thing because people have become skeptical about the entire pharmaceutical industry and they should be. And we've been talking about this. You've been talking about it. I've been talking about it for years and years. It's one of the reasons why we weren't taken in by this thing because this wasn't our first rodeo. Uh, but, um, now people are starting to wake up to that. And I think that's a key reason why they have to take us to war, uh, with all this to cover it up. You know what I keep saying when all else fails, they take you to war. That's right. That's right. And go back. When did World War II start? You know, after the Great Depression. Yeah, that's right. Where did World War I start? The whole banking system, everything was collapsing. All of you, all over Europe. You let's, know, they take you to war. What happened, what happened, what happened um, when the dot-com bust? People don't know this at all. The dot, again, we forecast in the Trends Journals, right now in magazine, October 1999. We said that the dot-com bust would happen by the second quarter of 2000. It did. It happened in March of 2000. One, the, on the day before 9-11, the NASDAQ was down 66%. We go to war against Afghanistan. Everybody forgot about the dot-com bust, and they created the fake real estate boom yeah. with the subprime mortgages and all that. Yeah. And now... What people don't realize is that the economy was going down very sharply before the COVID war began in January of 2020, the year of the rat, Chinese Lunar New Year. <laughs> you go back to 2019, September. Remember the repo market with the Federal Reserve pumping mm -hmm. in $7 trillion? Yeah, we so talked about it a lot of different times, didn't we? Yeah, yep. we were on that all, yeah. Go back, go back to December 2018. The stock market was crashing. Trump pressured, pressured, pressured Powell to lower interest rates. Mm -hmm. And in January, they did to artificially boost the markets up again. What I'm saying is this was going down before the COVID. Now, COVID happens. The damage that has been inflicted by these draconian mandates has destroyed the lives and livelihoods of billions of people around the world. You, you're going to see a crash in the office commercial sector, real estate sector, that's unparalleled. You're looking at office occupancy rate at best in the United States around 45%. That means all the businesses that depended on commuters, Benito, over 30% of all the dry cleaners dried up out of business. All, the, all of the happy hours, no more, gone. No more happy hours. So what I'm saying is now they covered up that damage by pumping in some $9 trillion of phony money just in the United States to artificially boost up the economy during the COVID war. And now you can multiply this around the world. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. now that money's drying up as interest rates are going up, the economy is going to crash and it'll get the people's minds off it when there's been a nuclear blah, 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 and we have to go fight for our freedom and democracy, blah, 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 and everybody will be saluting and cheering and marching off. That's right. That's right. Yeah, this new person that uh, Liz trusts in the UK, uh, she came out uh, doing something that is essentially like Trump's PPP. 
You know, we're yep. going to uh, have a uh, an energy subsidy for households, not for businesses. And 60% of the manufacturing is going to have to shut down because they can't afford the electricity. So you're not going to have a job. Uh, you're not going to have anything else. But, you know, for your home heating, we're going to subsidize that. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of a, just like PPP from uh, Trump, that's kind of a gradual move towards universal basic income. In this particular case, we'll get you your universal basic energy, and uh, we'll keep you warm during the winter and things like that, but you're not going to have a job. You're not going to have any goods to buy and that type of thing. That's the direction that they're moving people. And this, again, is coming from a conservative, you know, just <laughs> like we had uh, from Trump. This is how they can roll this stuff out, put out communism by a global communism offered to you on a platter by a conservative Liz Truss or conservative Donald Trump. Yeah, they're not conservative. They're yeah, the that's the label. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and again, that, that's, that's another one freak after another. Look at that clown they had, Boris Johnson. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now there's Truss, by the way, and she's calling herself the new Iron Lady. <laughs> <laughs> She's that's the murderer of crazy lunatic that was running the show before. Yeah. Yeah. You like what happened in the Falkland Islands. What the hell are you doing off the coast of Argentina? You're over in the UK, you know? But well, anyway, she's a big neocon. She's got she could be instead of the Iron Lady, she could be the Rust Lady, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well she might be because she also is asked, you know, how she would feel if she had to press the nuclear button. Yeah. Oh yeah. And she said I would do it. Yeah. I would do it twice. She repeated it. I would. Do I got a clown that's going to press a nuclear button. Why? I'm the prime minister. There's the prince and the prime minister. I'm right there on the same level. We are in control of your life. I know better than you. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't have a problem pressing the uh, button because she's got a, a nuclear bunker that she's going to be in. That's, yeah, big that's deal. Thing. Yeah. So you're in, that's the other thing. Yeah, These clowns building their bunkers. What are you <laughs> out of your mind? You want to live in a life? <laughs> what are you? What are you if, if a nuclear thing goes off, man, I hope I'm near it so I just go into dust. They don't have to live after it. Yeah, that was one of the guys I used to work with. He said, uh, if there's a nuclear war, he goes, I'm going to take my speakers and put them up on the roof and just sit there. I want to go out in the first wave. I don't want to yeah. be around when the zombie hordes oh. start and everybody starts fighting. You know, I just want to get listen to some tunes and get blown away in the first wave. And, and I agree with that. I, I was just yeah. talking this last week, Gerald, about uh, an in-depth article from a guy who identified himself as a Marxist journalist, but he hangs out with tech. And so he got invited by a bunch of these uh, tech billionaires to to talk to them about the uh, you know, the future and if the event happens and the event could be nuclear war, it could be any kind of chaotic thing. Right. And, and he says, you know, he, he goes through this long, art, uh, long process with them and he goes, eventually I realized that what these guys were trying to do was try to work through some of the moral dilemmas, you know, like what happens when somebody shows, I'm not so much worried about the big hordes of people that are attacking my stronghold here, trying to get my, uh, food and ammunition as I am the moral issue of the lady showing up at the uh, gate with a baby in her arms asking for food. And uh, that's, that's the real issue. And that's really what these people in positions like Liz Trust and the clowns like Bojo in, in the UK and then our clowns over here, Biden and Trump, uh, that's really what they've been able to um, just shove to the side. Uh, that type of thing really doesn't bother them. No, they don't care. Yeah. They don't care about the people. Yeah. They care about themselves. That's right. That's right. That's all they care about. <laughs> Again, 
you know, it, it's a global. I look at look at the clown play in the the, the, the president of of France, little Katzon Macron, the Rothschild boy. Mm-hmm. Arrogant, you couldn't get more arrogant than a little piece of nothing like him. Again, anybody that wants war or supports war, put on your military drag and go fight or mm-hmm. shut your mouth. Yeah. That's right. Oh, by the way, the number that the, the number the, the money that we've sent to Ukraine since the war began. 67 billion. Wow. Yeah. That's more than, uh, the Russian military budget annually. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. 67 billion as the country's going down the crap. Oh, by the way, another thing that, you know, we get, I'm blacklisted from the media. We send out, you know, thousands and thousands of press releases, but we're not getting anything on it. I've come up with a homeless solution and, and it's very simple. The putting people in, quote, homeless shelters, the shelters are costing billions and billions of dollars. We have the numbers there. You're putting them in a room in a city. They want to get out of their room. Now they're hanging out in the city or they're living out in the streets. You're in a shelter, like a bomb shelter. So why get them out of there? And like they used to have Boys Town, like that old movie used to be. We do the same thing. We have homeless towns. So like where I am up in Kingston, not far from here, there was a place called the Borscht Belt, where all the famous actors and comedians used to be when they used to call it the Jewish Alps. Mm-hmm. When, when, you know, it's in the Catskill Mountains, the foothills of the Catskills. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then when the, when the jet set started to happen, all that stuff went down. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. The Grossingers, Browns, beautiful hotels, all rotted to nothing. Rebuild these places. Get the people out of the cities and put them on this beautiful property and give them things to do. Work with their hands in the summer, in the spring, work in the yards, you know, growing, growing uh, vegetables and plants and doing things, working with their hands. Build homeless towns. Get them out of the cities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you see anything negative about that? No, as a matter of fact, the, the, in this area, there's a, a church uh, around here locally that I know that they're a part of, and, and they're one of many different groups that support this. But there is a farm where they're taking people who are addicted to uh, one substance or the other, and they take them out of that urban environment, and they put them on the farm, and they're getting them back to the land and back to nature. Yeah. And then selling that stuff, they got like a farmer's market where they sell the produce, exactly that type of thing. That's, what's so that's what I want to do, and yeah. I'm getting absolutely no coverage for it. Wow. No. Wow. Well, they don't want a solution. I know a guy, by the way, that's running against Chucky e. Schumer on the Republican Party. He's not getting any media at all. I met with him even donated to one of his events. And I came out, you know, I'm going way back. And I said, look, you should come out. I said, you, in order for you to win New York state, you got to win the, the vote in, in the, in the metropolitan area, New York city area. When the COVID war, uh, when the Ukraine war came out, I said, you should come out as a peace candidate. Didn't listen to a thing I said. Hmm. Then I told him about the homeless solution. Hasn't listened to a thing I said. And nobody even knows the guy's running against Schumer. Schumer's going to blow him out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they want to keep doing the same thing over and over again. 
definition of insanity. And they also don't want to pay any attention to the fundamental issues. When I was looking at the House plans from Kevin McCarthy saying we're going to put together a commitment to America, right? And we're going to focus on four different areas. You know, one of them is safety, of course, and then uh, the future, freedom, and, and that type of thing. They don't mention anything at all about executive orders, about martial law. They don't mention anything about CBDC either. And uh, this last week, there's been no reports of this, Gerald, except uh, we know that um, more than 180 days ago, you had uh, Biden put out an executive order, all the different branches of government telling them to come up with their reports for how they're going to support a central bank digital currency and a complete rewriting of our financial system. And all those reports are due on Monday. And of course, they're putting this stuff together and they're going to roll this stuff out. But nobody in the press wants to talk about it. Uh, nobody in uh, the GOP wants to talk about it because they want to see this thing happen as well, don't they? Yep. I look, go back to the Trends Journal, go back to over two years ago, from dirty cash to digital trash. That's right. That's right. And they're doing this so they know every penny we spent, where we spent it, what we spent it on, so they could get their money because they're politicians and bureaucrats that never work a day in their life that keep, you know, sucking off the system. Yeah. As simple as that. There was something I, I reported earlier today, and, and I thought it was interesting because with this, coming uh, coming through, and, and we know that this is really their orientation because as the office of the, com, uh, the uh, comptroller of the currency, uh, he put that uh, put up for, for that position, Omarova, who is a literal Marxist. She graduated from a Russian Marxist oh, university, right? And so she wanted to redo the entire financial system, and that's one of the four areas that they want to study. So they want to redesign the complete financial system. Uh, number two, they want law enforcement agencies to figure out how they're going to force us into this. Then they've got the people who are going to work out the technical details. And the fourth one, uh, Gerald, is about saving the planet and how they're going to save all of this um, you know, resources and everything by going with a central bank digital currency, demonizing um, uh, the cryptocurrencies. And so there was an article Ethereum is going to be changing the way they're set up and, and the big justification for this, instead of having the proof of work, which keeps them honest, they're going to go to a proof of stake. And they say, well, we can save 99% uh, of the energy. And so you've got the World Economic Forum and other people are, are looking at Ethereum. And so there's the concern that maybe they're going to do this pretty quickly when they decide to do it. And maybe they might just piggyback it on top of Ethereum. Have you seen anything uh, about that? What do you think about how they're going to roll this thing out and, and how far away we are uh, from the digital trash, as you've called it for years? It could happen at any time. You know, it could happen in a day. Uh, look, <clears throat> turn in your gold. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt did it right after he got elected. That's right. In 1933. That's right. Like that. And then again, one thing you also uh, need to mention is you well know, <clears throat> to make sure that they're getting every penny that we have, they just gave the IRS what? 87,000 new guys. Yeah. $80 billion. Yeah, that's right. $80 billion. Yeah. And oh, they're going to go after, no, they're not going after the, they're going after the mom and pop businesses that are left of them and all of us small people. And I think a big part of that is going to be you know, putting these people out to, to, to stamp out cryptocurrency or stamp out anything that's going to be 
um, you know, ferret out and to enforce this CBDC. I've been saying I think that's what this army of IRS agents is going to be right. primarily focused on. I'm yeah. bringing that in. Yeah, I agree. No, this is this is a dictatorship that we have. We don't have a democracy anymore. And there's something else, you know, that we've been endowed by our creator with the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A declaration of independence. You never hear the word happiness ever mentioned. That's true. And if you read George Washington's farewell address, he mentions the importance of happiness several times in his farewell address. Happiness is not a word that is, it's, it's prohibited. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not allowed anymore. You're not allowed to have happiness. And by the way, with the COVID war, what did they do? They sucked the joy out of life. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And when you look at what these guys talked about when they were saying pursuing happiness, uh, to them, it, it wasn't simply, uh, hey, I've got a lot to eat. I've got a new horse to ride or a new car or I've got some new video games. Happiness really for them was the pursuit of higher virtue. You yeah. know, they were focused on something that was something. That's another thing we don't talk about. We don't talk about liberty. We don't talk about happiness. And we don't, certainly don't talk about virtue. I mean, that is, you don't talk about something that's archaic, the idea of virtue. Who wants that? Nobody wants virtue anymore. Not in this society. No. Yeah. That's you amazing. know, people tell me, you know, why don't you stop? Why don't you, why don't you, you know, you're not going to win, but I don't, it's not, don't talk to me like that. You know, don't, don't you tell me what to do? Because if you did something and everybody listening did something, we could win. I agree. I agree. And that's, it's the cowards out there that are killing this, this, this the country. It's the cowards that aren't putting their money, their soul, their spirit and their passion where their mind is. And they're letting dictators run and rule and ruin their lives. You know, I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm 15 minutes here from Woodstock. Woodstock, oh yeah, Woodstock, oh yeah. No, that's not that Woodstock anymore. It's libtard land. <laughs> that's right. yeah. they, they can't stand me. You know why? Because I won't swallow their crap. Why, how dare you not swallow the crap that I swallow? I believe everything our politicians tell me. I swallow their crap, and we don't like you, Salenti, because you won't swallow the crap that I swallow. Yep, I agree. I agree. Along those same lines, you know, just pushing back, Gerald, I've got this story here from the UK. And the, the title, Inside the Parking Ticket Tribunals, where two out of three drivers win their appeals. We're talking about parking tickets. You would think that'd be a slam dunk. They've got you, right? But if the people, and even in the UK, they get a parking ticket, if they go to one of these things and fight it, they found that two-thirds of the people uh, get out of the parking ticket because they fight back. I've had situations the whole time I was in Texas. Whenever I get a, a speeding ticket, I would demand a jury trial. And, um, I, I basically just beat them down with that because they didn't want to give me a jury trial. And I was demanding a jury trial. So, you yeah. know, if you fight them on this and I didn't have the time where I could get a jury trial, so it was kind of a bluff, but you know, if you fight them on this stuff, uh, that's the key thing. And you have to fight, even if you know, you're not going to win because the, it, it is the process, you know, it is doing 
the right thing. It's like uh, Martin Luther said, if I knew I was going to, the world was going to end tomorrow, I would still plant a tree today. You have to do it because it's the right thing. You, because the journey is the issue. It isn't even the destination, but it's the journey that's the issue. Journey. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. You know, uh, yep. Um, you know, they say critical care nurses say that the greatest regret of people that are dying is they didn't live the life that they could have lived that's or right. should have lived. That's right. And they sold themselves out with the work they did and by not doing what they should have done. And again, you know, I want to make this 100% clear. I'm not the same guy I was when I was a younger guy. I mean, the crap that I pulled in my life, holy. Again, I was killing environmental legislation at the height of the environmental movement back in the 70s. You know, in D.C. at 20, 28 years old, I'm staying at the Willard Hotel and putting my meetings on the Hay Adams. You know, like, and, and all the other stuff I've done in my life. But you grow up and you keep learning. And the older you get, the shorter your 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 spirit is to, to take crap. You know, don't tell me if you haven't been there, don't tell me what it was. That's right. That's why you're listening to, by the way, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. If you read his articles, boy, you know, this guy was the assistant treasury secretary. Oh, of yeah. The oh, he's great. This guy, his temper is gone, man. It, you know, don't give me the crap anymore. He's calling him out. Phil Giraldi, former CIA guy. You read his stuff. And, and, and one after another, you know, he's had it calling out Israel one after another, you know, so when you've been around a long time and you see the game, you know, don't tell me what it was if you haven't been there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's the way I feel. Uh, when I see the, uh, play acting and all the rest of the stuff that's happening with some of these people, I have no patience for it anymore. Gerald, thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, it's always a pleasure having you on always interesting and, uh, trends, uh, research.com is where you'll find trends journal. One of the best, uh, publications you're going to find anywhere. Thank you so much for joining us, Gerald. I appreciate it. And thank you so much. Thank you. And in the minute or so that we've got left, I just want to thank some of the people who have uh, left comments and tips. Uh, Nick Ellenbacher, uh, Becker. Thank you very much. Uh, Nick Krogan. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, he says, trying to stay sane, David, unsure if you're helping me with that or not. Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you an anchor here. That's outside of all this stuff. Uh, unfortunately, most I know are brainwashed. Very few I can talk to. Uh, please have Brian from uh, Vaccine Impact on if possible. Yeah, I should do that. Uh, God bless Sean in Omaha. Appreciate that. Yeah, he is, uh, he is definitely sane, and he's got his priorities right. He definitely does. Uh, Lewis Tart, thank you very much. Uh, there should be a weekly segment on self-sufficiency and gardening. I agree. I wish I was... That is one of my aspirations is to get uh, right now. I've got a black thumb. And we're still working on it. Real McCoy. Thank you very much for the uh, tip. Thank you all of you for your support. And that's it for the broadcast today. Tomorrow we will be on Rockfin at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, if you're a subscriber on Rockfin, of course, you can come on Rockfin through the week. The show is free to everybody. But uh, if you're a subscriber, join us tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Thank you. Common man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. 
but each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com walk down the block, you'll find amazing things to do at your local croc. You can walk the track, hit pickleballs, Zumba when the rhythm calls, take music lessons or go for a swim all after you hit the gym. Grab a stationary bike and go for a spin, dribble, score, and take home a win. Become a lifeguard to save the day and try Aquafit along the way. Price is so low you're gonna flip for more than just a gym membership. Click on the link and see what you think, then take a walk to your local croc. At the World of Weights, getting the heavy stuff to gym owners across the world is an easy lift because they've got Salesforce Customer 360, the number one CRM. It unites their teams around all their customers so marketing can predict what each gym needs. Ooh, the deluxe dumbbells. Sales can get the orders out. And overnight? Wow. And every employee can smash their numbers this quarter. See how uniting your teams can help you wow customers at salesforce.com customer360.